Welcome to the podcast. It's the worst territory in the world. Personalities, history, and other stories. We know you're craving for more knowledge. Let the champions get their glory. It's the worst territory in the world. Welcome, everybody. The best time of the week to possibly talk about the worst territory in the world. I'm sitting here with Chris Goff. Chris, welcome in. We have tried so desperately to get our schedules aligned. And here we are today on a Friday, getting ready to enter into the hottest week ever. Yeah, you know, this hot weather is just does wonders for my business at the winery. I mean, you know, because people are like, I really wish there's a place we could go sit in the sun when it's 110 and uh, 98% humidity and just have a nice refreshing glass of wine. <laughs> so you're expecting a booming weekend this next week? <laughs> yeah, I had to cancel a, a bunch of stuff I had set up for Saturday because it's just so freaking hot. And this summer has been horrible. Like the last month and a half has been horrible. Like maybe not, you know, May and June were okay. July and August have been horrible. See, I, I don't, why do I not feel that way. I feel like this last week has been 80 degrees. There's been multiple 80 plus degree weeks. And I feel like this has been, I'll literally- tell you why I tell you why I think of it more because my business is on the weekends. So what happens is it's nice, like Monday um, through Wednesday yep. or Thursday and like yep. Friday through Sunday have been like unbearably hot for like yep. a many weeks in a row. It's very, we've joked about it at work. It's like, some of the best days are like Monday. It's like awesome. Yeah. It's like 75. And then like come Saturday, 102, you know, but I think it's because of that. It's not consistent. It's not like, uh, you know, we're talking about this summer of 2023. It's been like, you know, uh, 70 straight days of a hundred plus in Phoenix and like all these crazy weather things going on. We haven't had that, but it's no. been, uh, the weekends and the time that you have actual time to do stuff. Um, uh, those times have been horrible. So. Yeah, unless you're a realtor, then every time is horrible. Hey, now. All right. Hey, it's always a, that guy. You know that business. It goes up and down, Gabe. Yeah. Like wrestling, like cyclical. <laughs> it's sick being the key word. Well, Chris, we got a great podcast today for everybody listening at home. And I'm going to do this at the start of the podcast before we get into it. Everybody, do us a favor. Go ahead and uh, give us a five-star rating right now. Stop whatever you're doing. You can even pause the podcast. Give us a five-star rating where you listen to us um, on any podcasting platforms. It really helps us get noticed and we appreciate it. Also, don't forget, we are marching towards our goal of trying to get 1,500 uh, people to follow us and or like us on Facebook. So you can find us at facebook.com slash worst wrestling. All right, let's get that out of the way. Chris, we have a bunch of news today. We also got your exciting interview with your quote unquote best friend, uh, which I thought, you know, I'm kind of offended. I thought I was up there at least in the top 18. Top my 18. Best podcasting friend. Yes. Victories. Uh, no. Uh, we just joke about it. Uh, best friends. There's so many of them, but Seth mates is one of them. And um, yeah, he's going to be, we had a great time. Like, so I, I took a lot of crap because I, uh, it was the first time and I, I'm sort of glad it happened with him because other, otherwise I would have been uh, more uh, worried about it. But uh, this is the first time that I've recorded a full interview. And then the, the SD card did some weird thing where it didn't close it. And I had a hard time. So anyway, I lost it. So we had to redo the entire thing and he shits on me multiple times during the interview because of that. So, uh, but yeah, we make a joke out of that, but yes, uh, I feel like I could probably talk with Seth 
uh, uh, so many times just because of all the stories. And as I was explaining to you earlier, he has, if you don't, Seth Mates is a former creative writer for, for SmackDown when he was on the team with me. Um, that's the, back in the time when there was only eight people on the creative team. And um, we were pitching directly to Vince McMahon. He started with me at WWF.com in the late 90s. And then we ascended to the writing team in 2002. And uh, so he remembers everything. And that was a very awesome era to be inside Titan Tower to remember everything about. Because whether it was, you know, horrific tragedies like Owen Hart or business things like, you know, we were at the beginning of the movie uh, district the movie uh, side of things but also like the xfl and the closing of wcw and ecw and the leaving of vince russo at baltimore coltsing everybody and leaving in the middle of the night and going to wcw i mean there's so many things plus we talk about a little katie vick and billy and chuck wedding and stuff like that so uh he just has like an awesome photographic memory about everything uh, i play a game with him i don't know if i could do this with you gabe where i will ask him like name the first match of survivor series 1990 and he can do that so wow. um it's i mean he can do any match i ever ask him it's amazing so uh so it's fun to to relive some of our uh nightmares and dreams back in our youth <laughs> hey chris do me a favor don't leave me okay this is all i have in the wrestling sphere as far as like podcasting goes this is like my third foray so don't start a podcast with this guy too okay no You're... no no he he has no desire to do this all the time but i will but i have plenty of uh i have plenty of stuff for he's always going to be great to call up and just have an hour to discuss things with because whether it's like me and you do wrestling theory why well you know why is it this way and not that way or whatever or just talk about historical things or just like you know like we do dark side of the moon or dark side of the moon dark side of the ring <laughs> hey <laughs> I've been listening to some Pink Floyd this week. I was going to say, dude, but, not uh, bad, not bad. Uh, uh, but uh, anyway, so he, there's a lot for that he can cover. So uh, he's a great interview and I hope everybody enjoys it because he had, gosh, he used to have like, he had like 30,000 Twitter followers for a while because he would have such insightful things. And many people in the wrestling business like secretly were DMing him asking to, you know, sort of, Hey, give me a call. We could discuss some opportunities. Like he's had so many like sort of third party things thrown his way that he said no to, because when he walked away from WWE, WWF in uh, 2002, 2003, like he was pretty much done. He had been disgusted by everything. I think like, as we've discussed this before, if you know how the sausage is made in any business, when you get out of it, it's not nearly as cool to go back in usually. And he definitely had that thought. Nice. Can't wait to hear that interview. And, and like I said, man, we've got a ton of news, just like literally breaking as we're talking. So let's get it going here with our news break from around the world. Oh yeah. You, that's the one you had. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So AEW's cash Wheeler. <laughs> Why am I laughing? Arrested for aggravated assault with a firearm. So uh, he was arrested earlier this morning uh, that so the Orlando Sentinel reports that Cash Wheeler, real name Daniel Wheeler, was arrested earlier this morning by Orlando Police Department, was charged with one count of aggra aggravated assault with a firearm. A AEW has been aware, made aware of the charge, and we are closely monitoring the situation. Wheeler is fully cooperating with authorities. Now, Chris, 
Does this have anything to do with the fact that they're going to lose at all in against the Young Bucks? <laughs> I think everyone just assumes the Young Bucks want that big spot, right? The big moment in Wembley. I mean, they're not going to lay down for FTR, no. are they? No. There's no there's, way. There's no way. There's they just no- resigned. Well, everyone just resigned. FTR resigned right before them, right? So the EVPs, FTR, they're all under contract for a oh, while yeah. now. So. Um, it just sucks because I don't know how much Tony really holds, you know, yeah, I haven't heard a lot of AEW sort of, uh, police blotter material over the last couple of years. So, uh, when this happens, I don't really know how Tony's reaction will be to it. You know, I know how Vince's was back in the day. You basically, uh, you'd, you'd be in trouble for a while unless you were an Uso brother. And then you get sort of swept under the rug and that will go away after a while. But usually you got yeah, just drive drunk so. as much as you want. I don't know. I don't exactly know what's going to happen from Tony's side of things, but uh, uh, Cash Wheeler, uh, if everyone remembers, he's the guy that <laughs> grabbed the dude that ran into the <laughs> ring or whatever on the stage when Bret Hart was giving his Hall of Fame induction speech and just had him by in a headlock. And just when they were dragging him out, he gave him a big shot to his face, which I'm sure he got like sued for that, you know, God. You know, God forbid you actually knock out a dude that runs in the middle of a proceeding. But uh, but yeah, so he has, yeah, you have to you have to temper. you have to hold them like a young child and coddle them and say it's going to be OK. We don't understand why you did this, but it's going to be OK. Well, we all know criminals have more rights in 2023 than than the actual victims. So, you know, anyway. And that climate change is a lie. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> all of a sudden, all these people <laughs> at, sitting at their desk are like, wait, wait, did he just? Did he just say that? I'm just kidding, guys. Everybody relax. Um, in more news and notes coming across the wire, apparently now, Chris, I need you to need you to contain yourself here. This is one that you may have not may not have heard. It looks like Charlotte Flair and Andrade are finished. Well, I mean, I really had long bets on uh, how long this was going to last. I thought it was going to go forever. It seemed like a match made in heaven. So. I know, Goff. Um, this is arresting- her third. This is her third marriage. She's the ripe old age of like thirty something, so she's really catching up to her father. Not only in title victories, but in marriages. Old Charlotte. So what's- What's working against her more? She's in the wrestling business, and that's not good on marriages. Or she's a flair. Which one is? Which one's working oh. against her more? I mean, I, I- don't know. Um, yeah, she actually has more divorces than Ric Flair did at her age, to be honest. Like, Flair had like a bevy of divorces, like when he was older. Yeah, but um, she's not wasting any time, Chris. I know she's not wasting any time. I, I, this is the girl that's formerly known as Charlotte Flair. The the woman that I see on screen now doesn't look anything like the Charlotte Flair I've once saw, so I don't know. Uh, (laughs) who uh, is this person? (laughs) She looks way different, dude. I mean, um, we don't have to launch into a big diatribe about it, but it, it's really like, I, when did she come back? It was a few months ago. She made her reappearance after being gone for a while. And I remember texting my brother and saying, that doesn't, it, it, it literally confused me. I was, I was, I was baffled. I, I, I was, who is this person? Who is she's this She's not even like, she's not even old. Right. I mean, like. I get it. Like I, uh, my friend, uh, referee, Mike Crace, he put up a picture, a throwback picture today of when he met Tawny Katane like five years ago. Okay. And Tawny Katane at the time was in her fifties. Right. She was known as a sex symbol. She's obviously had facial surgery, lips, Botox, whatever else. And she, people were like, it doesn't even look like her. And I'm like, okay, well she's like a Hollywood sex symbol. And 
you know, you're, I've, it's just, it's just normal now to see someone do this in Hollywood, especially if you're on TV and just picked apart like that, uh, mostly female, some males do it too, but, uh, but Charlotte Flair is not even that old. Like she just has transformed her entire look from when she first got into the business to now, which I mean, teach their own, do whatever you want. It's your body. But, uh, she just, you know, don't expect people, don't expect people to say like, that's normal. Like it's not, it's not, you look completely different. I'm not saying good or bad. I'm just, you know, it's just, it's sort of shocking really, but absolutely. Absolutely. I, it wasn't a surprise because, you know, everyone was picking apart these clues on social media. And I'm like, yeah, name me a wrestling couple so to speak, that lasts at any, any given length of time. I, I think the, probably the longest that I can think of were some of the territory guys. I know some of the NWA guys were married to their wives for like ever. Okay. But, so you're talking about a specific thing here. You're talking about two people in the business. If you're talking about just one person in the business and having a, like, uh, yeah. yeah, let's talk about both are in the business. So, okay. Triple H and Stephanie's getting up there now. I mean, they've been married for 20 years or so. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, come on, hey, come on. I don't, they're still I don't know why. I don't know why, but whenever I hear about them or like another couple that's lasted a long time, I'm like skeptical hippo high. I'm like, Hmm. Is that really technically they're still married? Right, right. Same with Vincent Brock Lesnar and Sable. They're both together still. I mean, I believe that you think Sable's ever going to run out on that dude. (laughs) Can you imagine? Like, it's so funny listening to podcasts. And when people talk about Sable, they always go, if uh, Brock Lesnar's listening to this, uh, do you don't kill me? Yeah, don't kill me. Because (laughs) I mean, he's one of the scariest dudes on the planet. But anyways, just kind of a fun uh, side bit here. Also, Lacey Evans is apparently finished with the WWE, um, changing her name on her, all of her social media profiles to her real name. And basically, uh, Lacey Evans is a free agent. Now, Chris, did you ever watch any of the many incarnations of Lacey Evans? Uh, I did. And I kept in, I kept sort of track of like what she's doing because she's she's an attractive lady. Like she they put her through like, you know, three or four changes in like just a year or two period. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and it and it sort of changed with who was in charge. Vince leaves, comes back. Triple H, whoever likes her, doesn't like her. I don't even know where this led to now. I don't know if she just became disillusioned with the fact that she's been changed so much. But um, I thought she was like, I thought she was pretty good. I don't know if she's going to get out of, as far as cutting a promo and everything. Uh, I don't know if she's going to get out of here and try to go somewhere else, or if she's just done with wrestling for a while. You know, like uh, Mandy Rose. You know, I don't know what's going to happen, but. <laughs> Um, wait, wait, I mean, wait, are you are you insinuating that Lacey Evans may follow the same trajectory as Mandy Rose as far as like risque content provider? I'm saying she's coming off the be- the biggest wrestling company in the world who yeah. has a and she could go do she could go to AEW if she wanted to. Like I was just saying about this the other day, Sasha Banks, Mercedes Monet, whatever you want to call her now, she thought like the way she sort of portrayed herself. I think she thought she was going to walk out and like. She was just going to still be the same level, you know, because she's just so damn impressive that she's going to go out there and become the same thing. And whether it's Hollywood or wherever else, she's got connections. Obviously, you know, Snoop Dogg is in her family and all this stuff, but she is like a blip on the radar. (laughs) And Mandy Rose is that way too, but at least like I give Mandy Rose credit. She's banking it as much as she can as soon as she gets off TV, which is what all these people are going to be doing now that are not full-time, like long-time 
you know, wrestling fans from when they were a child, they're going to, you know, get bump, pump up their social media, get their cred out there. Seth and I discussed this, like everyone puts their real name out there and that sort of hurts wrestling. Do I understand why, why people want to do it? Yes. There's so many things in sports now, Gabe, that I'm like, I hate that. Uh, because it sucks uh, for the fandom of it. It sucks. But for the individual, it's not bad. Like, I understand, like, I, I worked at WWE uh, for the creative team for, like, less than a year. So that, you know, I knew going in I was probably going to get fired. So if I would have, like, been a person that wanted to just get my name out there real quick and social media was so big and it wasn't then, but if it was, it would be like, okay, well, you know, tr- you know you're know, you insecure and you know something's going to happen, so get it out there as soon as you can. But most of the people that do that, that change their name, know that I just think they're sort of insecure knowing that they're not going to have a job very long. And uh, I don't know what Lacey Evans is going to do. Like if she could probably – she, I think she's an attractive gal. I think she could go do something like Mandy Rose, like most of them do, and just bank on it as, soon, as much as you can on OnlyFans or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. I would that – you could – that you can get the residual – you know, uh, I don't know what what you're, what a word I'm looking for the residual heat that you're coming off of wrestling. Yeah, but uh, but who knows? I, I don't know. What I I think there's a big difference though between Mercedes and Lacey. Mercedes, I really believe, thought that okay, I she loves pro wrestling. I don't think when she got into it, she was had designs on being an actress or anything else. I'm sure maybe in the back of her head, but she she fancies herself a pro wrestler, so she thought. Leaving the WWE, she was going to do the Cody Rhodes thing, I think. Go to, you know, make her name on the indies or the Drew McIntyre thing. Just dominate, just crush, make a ton of money, refine her wrestling skills, make this new persona, new name, and then come back into the WWE. I think that's what she wants to do. Lacey Evans, I kind of put in the category, although a decent, decent pro wrestler, um, I think she's trying to do the the opposite route where I think she may have more had her sights set on a acting kind of thing, you know, more so than I'm a pro wrestler. So I can definitely see Lacey Evans um, trying to step into some sort of acting role or whatever. Hey, what is your thought on that, Gabe? As a fan, do you do you like it that people, do, you know, like Cornette hates people, obviously, that, that get into the business that are purely using as a stepping stone to do something else. But yet you see people like The Rock that become like a trillionaire because he did just the same exact thing. I know he loved wrestling and grew up in it, but he, he obviously left it for Hollywood. So at this point, uh, can you really blame anyone that does that because that's basically – uh, what it's seen as now. Well, it's a case by case thing. I, I believe look at Logan Paul didn't start in wrestling, came into wrestling and is a phenom that I think it's all about how you take it and how you, how you run with it. There's so many people that have crossed over or started in wrestling and went to Hollywood. If you start in wrestling, just strictly with, I'm going to be a reality star. I don't know if anyone aspires to be that anymore. I'm going to be a TV star. I'm going to be um, in the movies and they're really bad at wrestling. I'd rather they just skip that and just go go watch movies or or go try to be in the movies. But if they're good at, at applying their craft, I think it's I think it's fine. Like who wants to the wrestling business is a sick business overall. It really is. And sick in every way shape and form. You don't find a lot of people that are really truly mentally healthy that exist inside the wrestling bubble. There are exceptions to the rule. But if you're in the business and you have visions outside of it, I think that's great. You should. 
actually, because being a lifer in this business takes a very, very special individual and you should have an exit plan from the wrestling business. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I really can't hold it against people. I, I guess I've sort of softened on that. I would have felt the other way probably years back, but uh, nowadays I'm just sort of like, I get it. Like you see the toll it takes emotionally, physically on these people. And like, you know, you, you know, it's just like any business. I can't sit there and say this about Vince. Everybody says he just cares about your body and then he moves on. Well, welcome to every business in America. I mean, that's right. every major business doesn't necessarily care about you. They just want to use you to your best ability. And then, it, you know, when it's time to retire, they'll kick you to the curb and like move on. I mean, I've in Kansas city, we saw it for sprint uh, with sprint for years. They just, every year, dude, all my friends that worked at sprint were like, Oh God, layoff time is coming up. It's like after WrestleMania, you know, when everyone gets laid off, that's how it was with sprint. It's like, the same thing these people are there for 20 years to get kicked out on the curb they have nothing else going on that's that's what happens and so you know with that in mind you sort of have to understand that uh yeah like your first priority is not to live and die in the wrestling business in 2023 because it's a whole different world now yeah and, and i think also it takes a a, a a more drastic bigger toll on your body look at the the stunts that these guys are performing now is way different than taking bumps back in the 80s where you could make a 30-year run out of her career because some nights you're do, you're walking and talking as they say and you're not really doing anything you know you're maybe taking a backdrop your atomic drop by the way i had the I atomic had demolition drop axe <laughs> yeah it does i had <laughs> demolition axe come in and work a tag match at the age of 69 years old okay I wow, want you to hit. show me wow. any of these people that are, is Jeff Hardy going to be able to work even just a, a nothing match at the age of 69, which is probably what another 20 years from now. Oh I God, mean, dude, he's, crazy. he's already, I mean, look at him now. I'm not trying to, uh, he's an, I mean, he's an extreme. I get it, but yes. still, but still he's having a hard time getting around as it is. Have you seen him on AEW recently? The dude yeah. is, he's, he looks like he's in constant pain. And so and if you see Jeff Hardy, how he looks now, and then you want to be your, you're the guys that are doing the crazy stuff, like you said, like mostly in AEW, but also in WWE to an extent too. It's like they yeah. put their bodies through something that they did not even do in the attitude era, which it was a major thing then. So now they're trying to up the ante with that every time. Now it's like, how could you look at that and not realize it's like, it's like smoking when you're 20 now, after seeing everyone die and have lung cancer when they're 55 or something, just still doing it. You know, I'm like, I don't know, but whatever, that's just the way it is. So there's two things that I want to get to, cause it's actually been a few weeks since we've talked. So we're going to get to um, the, <laughs> the latest CM Punk drama. But one of the things I want to talk to you about real quick, we don't have to break down the entire card. What did you think of SummerSlam? That's how long it's been since we recorded. Uh, I thought SummerSlam was um, okay. I thought it was, you know, I thought there were some cool moments. I thought the whole like uh, Brock Lesnar raising Cody's hand and Brock going away for a while, supposedly, and like that was sort of unplanned that he did that. I thought that was a cool move. I think it's funny, like, you know, the old school, like, I can't say Vince wouldn't have approved of this like even 20 years ago or 30 years ago, but, you know, doing something sort of unscripted like that would have in some ways. Uh, <laughs> gotten someone in trouble but they're not going to do it for a undertaker or b brock lesnar like if they do that i mean even obviously stone cold and rock and the uh, hogan and stuff like that but i mean when he did that and triple h said in post that he thought it was you know that was unscripted i was like that's that's really cool i mean to sort of have brock and and knowing brock when i did when he was a youngster 20 years ago and seeing him do that now with cody uh i thought that was really cool and i thought you know the the bloodline i've heard Pros and cons about how that finished in that match. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I, I'm, I, with that sound, I guess you were against it. I, you know, this is just becoming a little bit more. I hope there's a finish to this <laughs> because I don't know what the finish could be of the bloodline here outside of Roman Reigns turning babyface because I don't really understand what the payoff is going to be at the end of all this thing. I mean, like you've seen sort of um, Steen and um, <laughs> Sammy. They, they've nice. sort of they've sort of gone away, whatever. KO and Sammy have sort of like Generico and Steen. <laughs> Generico and Steen. They have not been around. The family infighting. It gets a little now. It's almost like a, it's slightly too monotonous now. You know. Now I, I think it. I think it has jumped the shark. I really do. I so my brother texted me, of course, because all we talk about is wrestling. And uh, by the way, I want him to come on this show because he was like, Chris is an insane person thinking that Demolition is a better tag team than LOD. Like he he wants to debate that with you. And I was like, this is a thing with Chris. Most people want to debate LOD versus Demolition, but. So he texts me, he's okay. like, man, this, this card is pretty good so far, you know, because the Cody match and the Logan Paul match. And he's like, you should tune in. And then it seemed like right when I tuned in, after I put my daughter to bed, I watched the worst pay-per-view of all time. <laughs> like, it, I mean, there were some spots in it that were okay. I hated the women's match. The women's match was God awful. I mean, unbelievably bad. Um, I heard the Ronda Shayna Baszler match was really bad but different. Cause I guess they were like shooting on kind of like work shoot on each other, like yeah. whatever. Um, but the main event was the worst main event I've ever seen. I really, not, maybe the worst main event I've seen in years, as far as everyone knew that Jay's not going to win mm -hmm. Roman. Well, we, we, we talked about that last time. I kind of thought that eh, maybe they might do it, but they didn't obviously. And it was the slowest most plodding match. I did not care when Jimmy came in and turned on him. It, I fell asleep. I fell asleep. It was so boring. It was so boring. I hated it. Hated it. Hey, look, I, I do think that it's, um, they're trying to I, look the, the pay-per-view to me was a little bit of a, just on paper, uh, one Uso against Reigns is sort of like a, in your house match to me, sort of a yeah, filler. Totally. Kind of tweener, Monday night not like a, not like a big four, you know, right. it's like SummerSlam. It should have been a pivotal, huge pivotal moment more than it was. Um, so, yes, I can understand that completely. I They don't really treat anything special anymore except except Mania, to be honest with you. I, Rumble is still what it is. Uh, I love the Royal Rumble for many yeah. years. I, I'm almost so good. I'm sort of, I, I'm sort of sick of the rumble now. Like they've done about every finish you could possibly do. It comes down to about three people that could actually win it each year. It's been that way for many years. I mean, I, I like the spectacle of the rumble and I love surprises and they do less and less of those. It seems like, and, um, you know, based on the fact that everybody's broken down for that from the nineties now, but I just, you know, I, I, uh, I just, yeah, I don't, it didn't feel like a SummerSlam card if you can, yeah. and they've been doing very well. So it's sort of a letdown in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's get to the top news story, which good guy. I'm actually, it's almost like the bloodline jumping the shark. I think CM Punk is jumping the shark oh, yeah. as far as he just dominates the news cycle. Maybe that's by design. I don't know what it is, but lately. So after collision the other night, CM Punk gets on the microphone and digs at hangman Adam page about how all he's good for is, is his toys hanging on the pegs in the store. Uh-huh. That's that it seems logical to me. And you know what? This is uh this is someone like so that 
So you always wonder like where the line is now with work or shoot with right. these guys, you know, like I, I just assume based on the fact that the EVPs were all a bunch of thin skinned babies the first time that anything now is not like, it's never going to be like a work. It's all a shoot now. It just seems that way. Right. But then it's like, is Tony cool with this? Like, is it cool with the uh, punk coming back and, and doing this? Like, I think it's hilarious. And I think it's funny. It's going to get a reaction. Like the people that hate punk are already going to hate punk anyway. And he just throws more gasoline on it. Or the people that love punk are going to applaud this and think it's hilarious that he's making fun of the babies to me in wrestling. Everything's uh, everything should be fair game. Pretty much uh, out, You know, we're not talking family members or anything, but just within the confines of the business, I think anything's open. And I just think that, um, and he did it after they went off funny. the air. He did it after they went off the air. But so you, the- nothing's really off the air, dude, because everyone's recording yeah. everything. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. Sub- sometimes this crap that's on social media is a bigger deal than the actual pay-per-view or show, you know? I mean, it's right. how it is nowadays. Right. And, and I here's the thing, all right? I understand where he's coming from. You know, we've we've heard, you know, we, we have a famous canned interview that'll never see the light of day. We know a, a lot about what happened backstage with the elite and all that kind of stuff. I get where CM Punk is coming from, but at a certain point, Ace, I still would love to meet CM Punk. Just, I, just forgive me for what <laughs> I'm about to say. At a certain point, doesn't he just like, just stop stirring, just stop, just like focus on like whatever building collision, doing all this kind of stuff. And cause you know, that's going to get a reaction. You know that P, unless you're working towards something, just let it die. Because it's ne- like you said, it's never going to happen. They're never, they're not obviously headlining all in. And we could do a whole show about the lackluster card all in is turning out to be. Um, but if you're not going to, if, if this isn't leading to something, why say anything? I mean, so I think like, I, I understand where you're coming from with that, but I, I feel like he is just doing at this point uh, what he like, some like payback is fair play. I, I don't have a problem with what he's doing because he's basically, I understand why you say that, but you know, bringing him back and putting them on separate shows and the way that perceivably Tony has sort of dealt with this problem, which is he wants, obviously wants the EVP still there. He's still paying them a lot of money, even though they tank ratings and the video game sucks and all this other stuff, but they continue to stick around for whatever reason. And he obviously still likes punk because he brought him back and a steel has a job again and all this stuff. So you know, at this point, it is dealt with like him as a leader. Tony Khan as a leader is horrible. Like he doesn't yes. understand. He cannot even deal with this. So now like the horrible idea of, oh, well, you know, like, can you imagine Vince doing that? Well, you know, uh, Stone Cold and The Rock hate each other. So Stone Cold will be on Raw and The Rock is on SmackDown. And it's like, well, that's not really going to solve anything because at no. some point you're going to the paths will be crossed. Things will be said like, uh, you know the thing that drives me nuts about the whole situation is that outside of CM Punk actually doing his own talking in front of the public, whether it's at a show after the show's off the air, or he does, uh, I don't know, he'll tweet something very rarely about this kind of stuff, but is that his side is never talked about in the stupid quote unquote dirt sheets. I mean, it's always fed force fed by the other side and it's super annoying. So let me put you in his position. If you hate CM Punk so much, somebody out there, it's like, what would you do if all you heard you, you're the boss, once you'd come back to work, you're getting paid a lot of money. You're trying to do a good job. Some would say that he's done a great job putting together collision saying it's the best show on television now, as far as a professional wrestling show. So he's obviously wants to do what's best for the company, which is what, 
you want is a, uh, you know, a boss as a manager. So he's doing really nothing wrong outside of sort of like taking these shots based on the fact that everything else that he's read, see the passive aggressiveness of the EVPs is so annoyingly spineless and weak that like I can understand why after a certain point, you just want to be like, go F yourselves guys. Like I'm going to just go off script here. Obviously nobody on the EVP side is going to be able to match him with wits on a freaking microphone. I mean, it's going to be like, it'd be like Cornette going against the freaking, you know, you Tony Khan <laughs> uh, or Tony. Yeah. Tony Khan, same thing. So like, it's like, what, what are you going to do? Like, see them. They're not going to be able to like when they try to come out and do a retort, like sort of underground passive retort, it's so weak. I mean, it's, it's not even like in the same ballpark. So they're just going to freak out. They'll get mad at Tony. And I don't know what Tony's going to have to do at a certain point. I mean, he's already done what Tony thinks is right. Like putting, let's separate everybody. Like, you know, that just, it just never works. So I'm just sort of interested to see how this is going to end up because punk is not going to suffer a fool. He's not going to sit there and he's not no offense to these guys, but he's not Jake, the snake, Arn Anderson, Dean Malenko. He's not one of these guys that needs a paycheck. That's just going to sit there and shut his mouth and sees all this dumb crap going on, but like refuses to say anything. He's going to say something because he doesn't need this freaking job. I think he wants it. I think he likes wrestling. I think he doesn't want to just sit in his house all day. And this is fun for him. Uh, to a point, I don't know if it still is as much as it used to be, but I, I just think at this point, like he's not going to, he's not going to shut his mouth and let these little kids like run the playground. It's just, I, I don't know. And I, I know that it's a generational thing. I can't say I was like a huge CM Punk fan 15 years ago, but I can say in this battle of the EVPs who have a very small track record in terms of what they actually did personally versus what CM Punk has done at a, a higher level than them. Like I, it's a no brainer who is probably the more experienced and right person in this. I mean, do I, do I understand him kicking out um, Matt Hart or not allowing Matt Hardy to be there? Yes. Do I, do I, uh, Ryan do I, Nemeth, like, I mean, yeah, this, this like totally. Dolph Ziggler's jobber brother. I mean, like why, like this is a news story that CM Punk asked the guy that talked shit on him yeah. on social media to totally. not be at the show. Is this a, is this a, like, why is this like a huge crime? I mean, like this has happened for, I don't know, a hundred years. I mean, like, it's not a big deal, but because it's CM Punk, it's a huge deal. Cause Ryan Nemeth is really going to, you know, change a lot of shit going on, go forward. It's just, I love how just, he tweeted out this to the softest man alive. I'm like, bro, CM Punk like literally woke up this morning and looked at his pro wrestling tees account and made more money in that one day than probably Mr. Nemeth has made in an entire year. Well, that's what's you know? funny about social media, dude. Like pe anyone could go out there and talk garbage on anybody. And like, you know, uh, I mean, like how dumb politically was that? I mean, yeah. he obviously thought, Stupid. oh, it's over. Punk's gone, you know, whatever. Um, but you know, it, it always like the cream rises, dude. Ryan Nemeth's not going to get a freaking job. He's already 40. I don't know. He's around Is there. He really? Well, I don't know. What's Dolph huh. Ziggler. Z Ziggler's got to be up there. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I know mean, Ryan's on the, on the Bucks YouTube show being the elite. So I think that had something to do with it. Who cares? Bottom line is apparently, um, punk has texted. Um, this is the newest thing that I read just a few minutes before we went on texted. Um, uh, hangman Adam page and said that he, he apologized and said that, you know, he really would like to, he, he, he did not kick him out of the arena when hangman showed up that he actually wanted to talk to him about working 
um, towards an angle or something, but who knows if that's real or I, I, I think if anybody were to work with CM Punk in the future from that side, I think it would definitely be uh page or Omega. I don't think the bucks want anything to do with them, which Dude, is fine. Hangman Adam page. You used to sort of say like you wanted us to book him and end yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, he's a complete zero. I'm sorry. I don't see it. I, he's a, he is a B level guy at best. Yeah, sure. He's like edge to stone cold era. Like I, like I, the, I don't see it at all. Like I, I totally agree with the whole, like he's not some badass cowboy, like Stan Hansen or something. He's like a, I, I dude, I, I, I know like Cornette went off about this, but when I was watching AEW that day and he wore those butterflies on his pants and I saw him walk out there and I just see his overall demeanor. I don't see it, dude. Like, I mean, you can, he's, I'm not saying he can't be a, a decent guy in wrestling. Yeah. He's not going to be some like no uh, him. Sorry. Like, I, I guess my point of saying this is hangman Adam page versus CM Punk is not some kind of like, Holy shit. We need to see that one. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? Come on, dude. Right. right. I'm sorry. I, I the mean, one I thing the only thing coming out of that would be Omega Punk. That's it. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And I will say, in my defense, out of all the booking ideas I had in the NWL, I had three really good ones. Walter, I wanted you guys to book Walter really bad. We should have booked the Young Bucks. You were so against it. But at the time, they were white hot with the Bullet Club thing. And I was like, we have to get those guys in. And then the third one was Tony Storm, just because I had a crush on Tony Storm. <laughs> um yeah i mean like the we tried to do uh walter he it was just the scheduling yeah. was yeah i think he was I, I think we were talking about maybe when he was over stateside but he never was stateside when we could try to grab him but i was like i was all about you trying to book the young bucks i was like dude we will draw so many yeah. tickets if we if we book the young bucks but now that's a great idea <laughs> you know who's gonna be a really good backup commentator um all right uh -huh. <laughs> yeah i won't say his name yeah, look, the Young Bucks are are, are oh, popular to a degree, and they were more so than uh, yes. in 2016, 17. I get it, but um, you know, I, now not look now not so much now not so. I'm much. just the, the, we're splitting hairs here. They're yeah. way more over than a lot of people. They're not ever, and nor will they ever be, at the level of like the tippy top guys in WWE or even like AEW really at this yeah. point. So I mean. Uh, do, do I understand why they're super pissed off that even though they wanted CM Punk, they really didn't know what they were getting when they were begging for CM Punk to sign for the ADW because, you know, CM Punk's going to walk in there and be like a thousand times more professional and like experienced than, and over. than uh, these people. And if, for anyone that calls him unprofessional because of his rant that he was saying with the muffins in his mouth at the stupid media scrum based on a bunch of guys that have five followers on Instagram, uh, I think that you don't understand what it's like to work in a the professional wrestling business or be any company where uh, you can't get your thoughts out and you have like a little, uh, you know, series of backstabbing, like uh, quote unquote journalists writing all this garbage about you constantly every day. If you went through that for well, God, what was that going on? A year or two? Yeah, a year. If you yeah, went through that for at least a year and then you had to like shut your mouth the entire time, um, you wouldn't do it either. So you just don't know what you're talking about. All right. Well, you know who does know what they're talking about? Demolition. Yes, your your best friend I, in the I'm entire get world. Your brother's number, and I'm going to call you. Uh, your brother you, about demolition. I, you and my brother are so similar because he was born August 10th. When were you born? Twelfth. So I mean, I don't believe in that whole astrology thing, but you guys are 
really, really, really similar in demeanor and the way you treat me. <laughs> so I think, and you're both the same age, you and him in a room together would be amazing. I'm just going to say it, it would be incredible. I'll have to meet uh, him someday. Oh, it'd be dude. And he's so opinionated like you, you guys would just run, just keep ramming heads and be like, well, demolition's better with no LOT and not seeing the other's point at all. Oh, it'd be so great. All right. But uh, let's get to your interview with Seth mates. If you want to um, set it up just a little bit more, you did a great job of uh, talking about some of the things you hit, but let's, let's talk about Seth mates a little bit more. Yeah. Seth mates. Uh, he joined uh, WWE dot wwf.com i hate saying wwe wwf.com in 1998 uh, as an intern came back in 99 and worked full-time in 2000 and i was with him um on the internet side of things he also i mean we talk about some of it but you know we there was a video show called bite this he helped me produce that and that bite this show back in the day which was like the first video show on wrestling at the time like wcw live was more of a radio show bite this was a uh, a video show and like uh we worked on that and we bring up the fact that Shawn Michaels sort of buried the rock he got sent home uh Stone Cold came on and buried the WWE writing team and the product and he went home and then Vince came on the next week called me down called me up and asked me if he could be on bite this the next week yeah, yes sir you know what was he going to say to that <laughs> and uh so Seth was also a big time writer. So he would go, even though he's working for the internet side of things, the magazine publication department is right next to us. So he would go write feature articles and go on the road. And he did the big article on, uh, you know, why Stone Cold, why when he walked out, when he didn't want a job to Brock Lesnar on Raw, you know, everyone's heard that story. But uh, he was involved in a lot, man. And he like he's uh, like I said, he's got a photographic memory and he was on the writing team with me in 2002. And. Uh, we just have a interesting perspective now, especially looking back now, how much stuff has changed in the creative system there. Uh, Vince is no longer pitched to directly. You go sort of to, you know, other people who then message it on to Vince. Like, I don't even know if Stephanie's in those meetings necessarily at this point, but, um, but it's just a, a whole different world. I mean, at the time when we were in our young twenties and we were deciding like, uh, you know, what uh, breakfast to get them the next day. Cause <laughs> I mean, Literally at 23, 24, we're flying around on Air McMahon with 10 seats, uh, going over the show a hundred times to the show. And then we would get from the Air McMahon into a stretch limo to the arena, do everything. Dinner was always a Ruth's Chris steak dinner of some sort. And then the next morning, Seth and I would have to get everyone's order because we were the low men on the totem pole of, of respectively of raw and SmackDown. And uh, we would uh, get everyone's order, get the food at the, re at the breakfast, have another meeting that morning before we went to the show. I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, we could do a whole show just on the schedule that we would go through weekly and like how that worked out. And then you'd pitch to Vince every uh, Thursday, Friday, you know, Friday wow. really. Um, but he was there for all that and he has like a great memory and we just enjoyed ourselves a lot and got to, got to become like great friends from that. So uh, I've been wanting to have him on and I'll have him on again. And that's uh, that's, this is part one. All right, let's get to part one of the great interview with Seth mates right here on the worst territory in the world. It's the worst territory. Joined again by my best friend, Seth Mates, who went to WWF with me and worked with me on the creative writing team at WWE.com and uh, did not have the 
pleasure of working in the television studio like me. And I do want to bring up that this is the second time that I've recorded this or tried to record it <laughs> because the SD card had a weird malfunction. And so I reformatted and I think we're good, Seth. So thanks for coming back. I was going to say, joining us again, I was going to say, when was I here the first time? Chris, I apologize. I, I appreciate your uh, acknowledging the, the error of your ways. And I'm going to uh, surprise you on air here by telling a story that you didn't think I was going to tell. Speaking of uh, erased history, uh-huh. about the time that I almost erased WrestleMania 18 completely from existence. Oh, that was a very uh, scary moment for us young lads. So let's, 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 let's start with that here real quick. We'll get to the intro in a second. I'll tell the story very quickly. So Chris and I worked WrestleMania 18 in Toronto in 2002. I was backstage at the show like uh, employees who were over. Chris was back at the hotel eating sushi and drinking diet pib mr pib is it mr pib or dr pib i was mr that's and not so, what i drink but whatever go on so um we're, we're headed for the airport the next day and we see one of the photographers in the, the lobby of the hotel or, or somewhere where, wherever it was i forget where it was and they said hey at the, and at the time it wasn't digital then at the time they still shot film so they would shoot 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 you'd have to get the film back get it you know, develop, look, look it up on YouTube. It's what people did in the olden days. We were still doing that in 2002. So they, 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 the photographers were going on to TV the next day. Chris and I were flying back to Stanford the next morning and they had an entire roll on suitcase filled with every picture they had taken at WrestleMania 18. And so, you know, you, you work for the company, you always want to help people out, whatever. And the one thing that they said to us was, do not let them put this through the x-ray. Make sure they hand search. They have to hand search this. Do not let them put that through the x-ray. That would be very, very bad. Okay. So Chris and I leave for the airport the next morning and realize relatively quickly that the time that we think is the, is the, uh, uh, the takeoff is actually when we're landing and we're now running super, super late for our flight. And one of the cardinal sins at WWE, especially then, was don't miss your flight. You're going to cost the company money. Sure. So I am driving the rental car probably, I don't know, 300 kilometers per hour. You see what I did there because we were in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And we get to the airport finally. And we get to the security line. And we're, we're fine. We're running on schedule. We get to the security line. And the security line is the longest line I think I've ever seen at an airport in my entire life. <laughs> and there is no way that we're getting through this thing on time. And, we, you know, going through customs, all this stuff. We finally get to the front of the line, and if we can make it through in like two minutes, we're going to make our flight. So I was completely freaked out by the timing, by all of it, and I said, hey, can we get this hand searched? And they said, yes, it will be about half an hour to 45 minutes. And in the moment, I made the decision to say, (laughs) eh, don't worry about it, because I was so scared we were going to miss our flight. The entire flight from Toronto back to New York before we took the car to Stanford, I was, I, I thought I was going to throw up. Not for the reason I usually think on airplanes because I hate flying. I, I, I thought that I might have single-handedly erased every photograph from the entirety of WrestleMania 18 to the point where when we got back to Titan Tower, I, I looked, I, you would have thought somebody had died. Thankfully, there was a, there was a, a guy there, our former boss, Jim Monsies, who actually was very nice and said, you know what, Pally, don't even worry about it. It'll be fine. It'll come out okay. I was like, should I say something? What do I do? Oh, my God. Are they going to fire me? He said, don't even say anything. It'll be fine. Don't even. And, and, and moral of the story, but based on the fact that everyone has seen photos of The Rock versus Hulk Hogan, everything worked out just fine. 
So I've now started the story by telling a very long, uh, quick story where the punchline is, is I almost single-handedly erased WrestleMania 18. Chris, it's an honor to be here. I love the podcast. What do you want to talk about? Yeah, going back to that, though. I mean, we were on the flight, and this is before you could get, like, smartphones were the rage and stuff. So, like, you're just sort of like, how can I find out? if What are the chances, the percentage chance that these photographs still exist now? Like, we were talking to all these people, and I remember we were getting varying uh, opinions on it, you know, and uh, it was just, yeah, we it was a crapshoot. You know, we didn't know going back into Stanford whether or not this uh, film was going to be completely blank or they were going to have pictures of The Rock and uh, Hulk Hogan together. So it was, uh, it was, a, it was, that was a scary, well, there's a lot of scary moments in my life because I was young and I, I thought I was going to get fired constantly. So that was, uh, that was just one of many times where I thought I was going to get fired. So, and really, I would have just been an accomplice because that was all on you. <laughs> so anyway, Seth Mates is I appreciate a, that. Some sums up our relationship there in a nutshell. I did all the work and you were just there to see if it went well or not. <laughs> hey, whatever pays. Uh, Seth is, has been my uh, great friend since 1999. Uh, I, I was your I was your, I was your best friend when we recorded this the first time. Uh, the first time that was a long time ago. Uh, so Seth, I, I wanted Seth to come on. Of course, this is the worst territory in the world about Kansas City, but I'm from Kansas City and I worked in the professional wrestling business at a high level a couple times. So I feel like this uh, this counts because Seth is my friend and we get to tell stories about uh, working at the World Wrestling Federation, which is what it's still called in my mind, and that's what we'll refer to it as here. But Seth, uh, I wanted to, the first time we recorded this, we sort of uh, went over in detail about how we became sort of employees slash interns, whatever, at the WWF. And I did want to uh, go through that process again quickly, if we could, just sort of like uh, for those who, uh, you know, I think through the years that I've left WWF, people talked to me and asked me, you know, it sort of waned. I'm sure it has to you too. When I first got out of wrestling and it was early 2000s you know everyone was like how did you get in there i want to be a writer everyone wanted to be a wwf writer back then because everyone sort of knew the whole russo background thing and then going into the writing team and then if they knew that me and or you were involved in that a lot of people were going into college wanting to be that but i don't i don't ever get that question anymore do you ever hear anybody ask you that anymore how to get into wrestling? How to get it? How they want to be a writer in wrestling? Like they yeah. want to be a, a storyline booker writer? I, I, I that used to be very prevalent when I was younger. My people used to ask me all the time how you get into more. more it was more how to get into wrestling, uh, even if it was not as a worker, but how to get into wrestling as opposed to how do you become a writer? The times I've gotten, and when I get either question, my answer is always the same, which is don't trust me. Run the other way. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I will look. I will say excuse me, I will say bigger picture that I'm, I am forever grateful for my experience there. I have wonderful stories. It was a time in the business that will never be duplicated. The business is not that anymore. It, 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 it is a business now. It's a corporation now. Um, but there are, there, and I've said this literally since the week I left in December of 2002, there's not enough wild horses, money, whatever in the world to get me to go back. And I'm, I'm very different from most people who get in there, but I don't, I don't get that question as much because there really there really isn't a formula for it now either because there's really never been a formula for it. You know, the experience that we had, you, when, when you hear about the creative team online now and you hear about writers now, the dynamic and the setup is so completely different from when we were there at the end of 2002. I think, <laughs> I think we might have ruined it a little bit here because back then it was a very small team no matter what lies vince russo tells you about i went in in june 2002 when i met with 27 people 18 of whom were still in diapers pally yeah and it's like that is a complete and total 
lie. When Chris and I joined the creative team in the following month, we made nine and ten people on the team, including Vince and Stephanie. And the only people under the age of 30 were the two of us, Brian Gewurz, David Lagana, and Ed Kosky. So there you go. And that kind of, and Bruce, way, at that point, Bruce's wife was going through some medical stuff. So he was in Texas. So he'd be joined in, in these meetings via phone, but he wasn't even there either. So it was, it was basically seven of us in actual, when yeah. you know, because when we started on the writing team, it had just recently broken into the two, you know, brand split. So you had Raw and SmackDown. Mm-hmm. So Raw was basically me, Brian Gewertz, and Ed Kosky. Uh, Michael Hayes would be involved when he was around, but he had other stuff going on. He was still commuting as well. And then you were on the side with, it was Paul Heyman, yourself, David Lagana, and I guess Bruce was with you at the beginning. Is that true? Uh, Michael Hayes was with us at the beginning, and then he and Bruce traded halfway. It flip-flopped. Okay. So yes. th- that was basically the team. And like it was funny because me and you, obviously longtime fans, we go in there and we have Brother Love, Paul Heyman, and Michael P.S. Hayes <laughs> with us writing t- television. It was pretty – it was intimidating to me. I don't know about how you felt about that, but it was intimidating from the standpoint of like – and I have great stories of <laughs> Michael Hayes uh, basically you know, pulling me aside and telling me how to do things and how not to do things in these, in these pitch meetings yeah. as you do as well. But uh, were you intimidated yep. as all? I so <laughs> we're skipping all over the place here, and I and I and I love that. And I, actually, I'll say I fucking love that because I think we'll let the curse here, the Rip Rogers president, if you will. Um, I, I wasn't intimidated when we joined Creative because by the time so all right, so I interned twice at WWE once in the summer of '99, once this winter '99 into 2000, and then I was there full time from May of 2000 until I left in December of 2002, and mm-hmm. that includes my last five months in, on creative. So by the time I was on joining creative, I'd been there for a few years. And <laughs> as you may remember, Chris, cause you and I worked together at com and with all that stuff too, as, 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 as much as I love wrestling and still love wrestling. And, and again, my nuance as, as a, my nuance is I love wrestling. I hate the wrestling business. I hate it. <laughs> I think I everybody also, feels that way. I hate it. Well, yeah, I, I just, for me, it was just kind of like, yeah, I'm good. Um, so I entered a spot in about 2001 or so, which was kind of where I had just zero fucks to give. And that wasn't <laughs> that I didn't care. It was just like, by the time I joined creative, I was ready to leave the company anyway, because I was so tired of the politics and the bullshit and just the, the silliness of it all. You know, I was, when I joined creative, I think I was the youngest person ever to join the creative. Mm-hmm. I was 23 years old. I was a fucking child. I'm still a child in a lot of ways. Um, I was 23 years old, you know, I was like, and look, a lot of people who go into wrestling will, will, will stay there as long as they'll have it. And this, their foot's in the door and they're going to do everything they can to stay. And that, to be honest with you, is one of the secrets to longevity in the wrestling business. It's not to be great at what you do. It's just, Oh, I'm here and I'm just going to stay. And like they say, showing up is 90% of the battle sometimes. And that's great for them. There's a lot of different things I wanted to do. So for me, joining creative was not only it was a dream come true legitimately, and we'll get back to how I started, which is your original question in a minute. Uh, you got me later in the day at this, in this interview, Chris, so I'm a little punchier than usual. That's okay. It's good. Um, my, um, yes, this was a dream job for me, but it was also very much one of those things where I was going to uh, uh, you know, ride this as long as I could while I enjoyed it. But then as soon as it became, this was my last ditch effort, as soon as it became something that I didn't want anymore i was gone and you know i had i had someone who i I won't name you know talk to me someone at the company who i liked and who i trusted tell me 
early on during my time in the creative team, this job will take the joy out of the wrestling business for you. And I was like, what are you talking about? We're doing that. We're traveling. We're doing this. We're having fun. We're writing storylines. And that was, <laughs> that was proven correct because you're seeing how the sausage is made and you reach a point where, look, I, creatively, I, I was, I was, we, I say I was, we were right at the table with Vince which right, most writers haven't been ever, and, and especially not in recent times. We were working directly with the talent. We were working with, with, with not just working directly with the talent, we were working with Hogan and Taker and Triple H and Rock and, all of the, and Flair and all of the biggest stars of that era. Plus we had this guy named Brock Lesnar who we were you know, first introducing to people and putting his first title on. We had this young guy named John Cena coming up. We had this young guy named Randy Orton coming up. We had this young guy named Batista coming up. Mm -hmm. We had this young guy named Edge coming up. We had this new guy named Rey Mysterio we were trying to get in the door. It was kind of this intersection of everything that's ever happened in the business ever, if you think about it. And so it was a really unique time, and it was a really fun time. Um, but I, you ask if I was intimidated, I was intimidated just because the, the, the business has so much legacy and you have all these people around you with so much knowledge. And I just, I, I always like to learn. And so I was intimidated just by how much there was to learn, but by the process itself, I mean, we were, again, this is not bragging, humble bragging, whatever. We're flying on Vince's jet with him. We're riding in sure. limos. We're backstage. We're dealing None of that ever intimidated me. I just was like, okay, let's just let's just put on a good TV show. When I say I was intimidated, uh, so that stuff was cool. I remember thinking to myself when I was 24, because I was a year older than you. So when I when I was on there going on Air McMahon and it had 10 seats and me and you were out flying to these shows on there, and then we go basically from Air McMahon to a stretch limousine to the arena and getting uh, Ruth Chris uh, steak dinners every night and stuff. I knew at the time to th appreciate this, but of course, even if you tell yourself and you're aware that you should appreciate it, you don't really appreciate it enough until you have some perspective in life and look back and see, wow, even though you did appreciate it, you didn't appreciate it nearly as much as you should have. But anyway, I, you know, I say I was an intimidated because when you walk in this room, yeah, as you know, in the writer's room, it is just, uh, the, the, the most cynical hellhole pit in the world <laughs> and they are not going to baby you through anything this is unlike any other nope. like when i walked into you know the television studio yeah they ribbed me big time and i actually had an internship which basically consisted of me doing a bunch of grunt work and also going to get everyone's sandwiches and stuff which today would be you know you had to get thrown in jail if your job did you made you do that now but back then yep. I, I learned that and they sort of treated you that way but they were cool about it and they let me do cool stuff They'd then go over to dot-com you have shane you have all these cool experiences there and we're all young sort of coming up together in the internet age so that was another cool like you know that that was sort of the uh the first job that i ever had where we're all sort of in it together because we're all within a couple years of age of each other and we were all sort of in this new world but then you went to the writer's room which of course as we've talked about many times throughout the years we were warned you may you were Shane's boys. You're probably not going to last that long. Sibling rivalry, Stephanie let, and let Shane. Me, let me let me let me jump in. Let me jump in here for one second because it's important to point out because it's second nature to us. But just for people listening here, the time frame when we were there in late 2002. Speaking of the sibling rivalry, Stephanie and Triple H weren't even engaged yet, much less married. They were still dating. It was still relatively new. There was still not this 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 feeling that Stephanie was going to be the, the, the one taking over. It was still very much Shane was still kind of in boy wonder mode. And and Triple H was still kind of and, and Stephanie were still kind of getting to know each other uh, to whatever degree. So it was still 
the, the politics involved in it too. Anyway, I just wanted to point out that, no, that dynamic right. here because people, for now, it's people, or it's second nature. Yeah, Stephen Triple H. It, it wasn't even there at that point. No, and I mean, we have stories we can talk about in future episodes about being on creative writing calls where Triple H was lurking in the background of an unmarried Stephanie McMahon's apartment or wherever she was. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. it, was, it was an interesting time. Can I dispel another um, myth that's been out there on the internet? Sure, please do. There, there's, been, there's been a lot of talk that Triple H never sat in on creative meetings in 2002, like literally creative meetings. That is not true. He used to sit in on creative meetings routinely. I mean, it's like it was. He would, he would actually. If you didn't hear him, like sort of breathing, you'd know you'd actually talk. I mean, which again, yeah. like where he's at now makes total total sense. But at the time, mm-hmm. the perspective of it was like, why, why is he here? Like, <laughs> this, mm-hmm. it just didn't make any sense. But it did later. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I think going big picture that like talking about you getting in there into wrestling and stuff and getting into the WWF, I mean, going from zero to a hundred, I mean, mm-hmm. me and you both were just fans. We didn't go through anything else, but there's no like minor leagues to this basically except independent wrestling, which I did later, but like you didn't, you just get thrown into this mom and pop company. And I think a perspective, speaking of perspective, one that people don't really understand still now is when me and you got there in the late nineties, I mean, I, my first show was in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. In uh, 1997, <laughs> and so when I went to that show, Bret Hart was still champ, and he was walking. I remember, you know, I'm still a fan of Mark. Uh, he's walking around with the belt, and he is doing these promos, and he is treating it like he is. It is 1,000 percent real. And I thought, and I remember thinking at the age of 19, like, wow, he looks. He's sort of delusional. I remember thinking that about Bret Hart, even though I really liked <laughs> Bret. And then, uh, but I think the perspective of that I wanted to get to is that it was still, still sort of mom and pop company in the late 90s and if you look at it now it has grown leaps and bounds even since we were there when they went public I mean me and you have talked about it so many times the era we were there from when I started in 97 to and then all the way to 2003 when we're both gone it's like that era was the fall of ECW the fall of WCW the XFL come and, came and went uh, going pro, going public uh, just uh, the just the amount of people coming into that company all the new things happening and we get to be with Vince McMahon when he is in his mid 50s and still completely mm-hmm. totally you know there and me and you had sort of a as much as you could have a personal relationship with Vince for, as a work associate we had one because as as we've talked about at one in the morning being single guys we'd see him in the gym and he'd, he'd know our names yep. you know and that's how yep. that sort of helped us going into the riding team I thought yeah, the, 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 we'll get back. I'll, I'll use that as a springboard to kind of my origin story here, because you're right. It was more of a mom and pop shop then, which was terrific. Um, I, you know, I, in 1998, I was going into my junior year of college and I wanted to get an internship for the summer after that, which was the summer of 99. And back in the day, this was, you know, the Internet existed, but there weren't really like intern databases, whatever. So you used to have to go to the bookstore and buy like a 400 page book that had mailing addresses for different places and um at the time i thought i was going to work in newspapers and so i'm applying to all these newspapers and then just for fun i sent an extra uh, packet because back then you would send packets you would get printouts and photocopies of stuff you've written and your print resume and just you know go to kinko's if you know what kinko's is you know take a shot <laughs> nice. um, and i called this, this one phone number i had for wwf and i said hey you guys do have internships i don't even know do you mind if i send you stuff and i said yeah send something and we'll take a look at it didn't even know get a call 
from uh, Sarah Troy at WWF Human Resources, who was absolutely delightful. I was a big fan of hers. Mm -hmm. And she asked me to come in for an interview. And my interview was on March 16th, 1999. So my interview was on 316. So I assume that that was probably going to be good luck. <laughs> I went in, and this was this was a Tuesday morning, the day after a live Raw in like California. And this is two weeks before WrestleMania 15. God, we're old. They're up to WrestleMania like 88 now. I know, like it is a long time ago. So I go in, I meet with a few people and whatever, and then at the end of the interview, they're like, all right, well, we're going to bring you in to meet Shane now. I said, huh? Shane McMahon was in charge of WWF New Media at the time. As you mentioned, you know, in this era, the internet was still this new and emerging thing, and you know, Shane was going to be taking over the company one day. And so they wanted to put him in charge of this new and emerging department and give him, you know, give him some street cred in, in the company and all that stuff. So went in to meet with Shane McMahon and I was completely starstruck at that moment, but I was trying to play it cool because before Shane, I had met with Matt DeLuca and human resources. Matt, we've talked about him the first time we recorded this when you destroyed a little piece of history. Chris. If I would have, if that would and, have been uh, my resume, I would have been fired, but yeah, go on. <laughs> um, Matt DeLuca used to be the head of human resources here. In my opinion, he was, uh, the reason he was uh, departed from the company was because he was made the fall guy when Vince Russo left when he didn't have a contract, and we'll get to that. Ma that Matt DeLuca was a, uh, a, a very nice man guy. who was like a straight shooter and did not really, he, he, he wasn't devious enough to maybe have that position, but go ahead. That's fair, too. That's fair, too. And so um, Matt was a really, really, really good guy. Matt gave me a piece of advice my first day as an intern. Um, that, that has followed me throughout my career. It's very simple advice, but he says, if you see anyone in the hallway, make eye contact, smile, and say hello. And it's a very simple piece of advice, but when you're an intern, you know, when you're 19 years old and you're an intern at a big company and one you're in awe of, you don't always think that way because you don't, you know, and I was awkward already anyway. So I just, I always appreciated that. I was like Matt. Had a really good talk with Shane. Uh, they hired me to be an intern, and uh, I started as an intern May 10th, 1999. Uh, May 23rd, 1999 was the day, and I know you were there, was the day that Owen Hart had his terrible accident. Mm -hmm. So May 24th, 1999 was not a fun day. I mean, Titan Tower that day was just, you could have heard a, you could have heard a pin drop. You know, we had a meeting that morning to just see how everyone was doing and, and come up with a plan of action of, you know, getting some, so we, we did a lot of what were called subsites at the time where we would pick a topic. You, you probably remember these. WWF2cool.com. WWF, WWFhotrain.com. Remember that one? There, was, there um, was one guy there that really worked his ass off on all those sub-sites, and he had nothing else to do because he was so busy doing those sites, and he went on to become a... Uh, what did he become? He he had a, a nanny, and I, I don't know. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love inside jokes that nobody outside of you and I will understand. On Johnny Lane podcast. was his name. Johnny Lane, yes. uh, you know, he doesn't have enough time in the day to do all those subsites. He's a very hardworking man. But yeah, he's, he's, a lot he's, of big time, he's big time. He's big time at the NHL right now. Shout out to Johnny Lane. I hope he's listening. So we had the the the, uh, uh, the meeting about the Owen Hart thing and all that. And just to give you a little uh, window into how the wrestling business can work, sometimes is we're we're sitting around and we're discussing. Uh, all the Owen Hart stuff, and we're on speakerphone with our boss. Excuse me, he's over at, t at TV in St. Louis that day, and just it's very, very sad, and just very just trying to do whatever. And at the end of the call, one of the people in the room, I won't name names, said, "Hey, do we have a second to talk about that Chef Boyardee campaign?" And it's like, 
no, dude. Like, why don't we take a moment to honor our fallen co- co-worker who had a horrific accident 17 hours ago, and we'll get back to the meatballs later in the week. That's such a corporate thing. That's such. Yes. That's like oblivious yes. to everything else going on, people dying, and no one knows, but yes. Yeah. So on the heels of the Owen Hart thing, there was obviously a lot of chatter about it online. And this is, this is kind of how I, I got myself over in the company. Um, you know, you always hear now, even now, like you're in NXT or whatever. whatever. I, I never watched NXT, by the way. You're in NXT, and how do you make yourself stand up, stand out, and whatever? So there was a lot of chatter about what was going on online. So it was probably two or three days after the accident, and, and you know, Shane was back at the office from TV, and um, you know, he said to me, he's like, "So what are people saying online about the Owen stuff?" And I told him what was going on with a level of like insight and like comp you know comprehensiveness if that's a word that i think he was really impressed by and so he asked me to put a little report together about it and so i did and you know was it good look 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 good on him and it was just helped inform people at the company what was going on what's the chatter um because they would you know like people like howard finkel would look at the internet and it was kind of very informally done at the time but there was no formal way of letting people know what the, what the buzz was there was media packs if you had articles in people magazine or the daily new york daily news but there was nothing for the internet and so this was also right around the time of the the greater power storyline and so uh you know they also wanted to know you know one day shane came in and he's like what are people saying about the greater power storyline And i gave him all these things and different pieces of feedback and here's the theories about what people have and um he's like that's awesome can you compile that again sure so I compiled that, and if you watch the opening segment from the day that they revealed the greater power, June seventh, nineteen ninety nine, at one point during Vince's promo, he mentions like three or four names of who people think the greater power is. That comes directly from the report that that I put together, you know, as, during my internship at Dotcom. So of course I marked out for that. I was a kid, and then that turned into, do you think you can do this for us more regularly? So that turned into the WWF.com web rumor report which I started doing every day during my internship and someone, other people would take it over when I was back at school and then I came back and then when I was there full time, I was doing it every day. And it started with just something that went to Vince and Shane and a handful of people on the fourth floor. And by the time I handed it off right before I went to the creative team with you, I think there was a hundred people getting it at any given time, maybe more. We would hear stories that people on the fourth floor would spend their entire mornings just you know drinking their coffee and reading the web rumor report. Um, I'll tell your favorite story about the time that I get a call from Beth Zaza, Vince's assistant at the time, mm-hmm. and, and uh, she used to call every, usually the web room report would be out every morning by 9 a.m. And there were times if it was five minutes late, I would literally get a call from Vince's assistant saying, hey, is the web room report ready yet? <laughs> uh, I'll get it for you as soon as I can, I promise. How are you this morning? Oh, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. I get a call one morning from Beth, and I said, hey, Beth, how are you? I'll have the room report for you here in a second. She said, I appreciate that. Please hold for Vince. He's on the plane. I said, huh? And I hear, Seth. Hi, Vince. Good morning. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, thanks. What's up? Uh, there's a big story about the XFL. This is 2001. There's a big story about the XFL that's supposed to be in blah, 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 blah today. You think you can track that down and send it to me with the web rumor report? Happy to, Vince. Thanks, Seth. You're the man. No, you're the man, Vince. <laughs> Hang up. <laughs> I will never forget that phone call. It is just hilarious to me that that, that th- this is how I got myself over, and this is that's that's wrestling. You never know what it's going to be. So anyone who tells you that people at WWF don't read 
the dirt sheets and don't read the boards and whatever. It's a hundred percent untrue. The, what this story um, that you just told to someone that's like 21 years old is so antiquated because it's like, people yes, don't understand. Yes. Like this was not, the internet was not looked at as like your daily reading material every day at this time. I mean, I know it's like we're 25 years removed now, but at the time it was like, no one was doing this. It's the simplest of things like put together stuff, information, but like you had to, you know, Seth and the, we were all sort of in the, we knew what all the sites were at the time. And, you know, if you weren't in that world, you wouldn't give a crap about any of these other sites, Raja, WWF or whatever. But you're like, uh, yeah, it was you compiled it and it was a huge deal to, to those on the upper. You know, besides this is not a shot at Vince because he works harder than anybody I know. But uh, those fourth floor people, they were just they were just burning their ass working. I'm sure like uh, you tell me they were reading the web rumor <laughs> report all morning. That's that's a big shock there. I will I will I will give you a little bit of insight. I'll give you I'll give you a little tidbit here. I didn't even mention this the first time we recorded back when you completely screwed the pooch on that one. Yeah. Um, the day the day that I started full time at WWE was May thirtieth night May thirtieth two thousand, and this was back when they were hiring guns a blazing for the XFL as well. And the day that I started, I think there was like nine or ten other people who all started at the same day. And one of the people who started was one of the he wasn't like a tippy top executive, <laughs> but he was one of like the department heads for the XFL. Yeah. And he was sitting next to me in HR as we were kind of going through some of our, our stuff that day. And I look over, and this guy's got his salary written on the top of whatever paperwork is in front of him, and it wasn't covered up. $235,000 a year. Slightly more than us. And, and slightly more. Slightly more. I mean, the WWF did not, did, did, even during the Attitude Era, did not, did not pay great. That being said... I will say I was the first paid intern in the history of the company. I made eight whopping dollars per hour in the summer of 1999. Not complaining. It was a great opportunity. You pay your dues. Blah, 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 hey, every time the tippy uh, top thing and every media thing, by the way, ESPN always say nobody pays great. It's because they know people yeah. want no, the I job. Know. I get it. And it was a foot in the door and a great opportunity. But the, the thing I will say is that the time at dot com, one of the other things I was able to to be a part of, which was kind of your your thing, which was amazing, was was bite this and it amazes me that they still haven't unearthed old episodes of bite this either for the network or elsewhere because you, we're in an era now where podcasts and all these exclusive interviews and oh but in, and then we go a step further and we add video and we were doing that fucking shit on bite this 20 plus years ago that like, doesn't we shock have, me though you got dr tom and kevin kelly on these shows they're not going to put that stuff up no way yeah, but you've got you've got interviews. You, you you've got the interview where Stone Cold Steve Austin basically <laughs> ruined his career for six months. You've got the interview where with with Shawn Michaels where they literally took him off of TV because he was burying the Rock on Bite This. And, after and the, then uh, that was after never, the first SmackDown, never, right? The first, the very never, first yes, SmackDown. Yes, yes, yes. After so, quick backstory: the first ever episode of smackdown not the pilot one that aired in early 99 the first one that officially aired in august or so of 99 Shawn michaels was on that show as a guest referee and the, the end of the, the main event of that show is new champion triple h against the rock and sean super kicks rock and helps hunter win and i don't know where the storyline was supposed to go from there but Shawn michaels appears on bite this that week and bite this was a total shoot show completely out of character say whatever you want shane was very much an advocate for that which i thought under was the, awesome. it was under the radar too from people like vince so you know yes yes and he's on the show sean and he says something along the lines and correct me if i'm wrong here that triple h is the first champion 
in recent memory who's actually earned the right to yep. be the champion. That's Something along those lines. Yep. And I don't think that Mr. Johnson was very, very happy when, <laughs> when he heard that come out. And Shawn Michaels, that word gets back, and Shawn Michaels is immediately taken off of, uh, of WWF television. Those are just the two occasions I can think of when um, when Bite This ruined people's careers, even if it was momentarily. There was but more, I'm sure. Terms- but but when, when, when Stone Cold uh, had his, you know, his temper tantrum on there and that was there was a lot of reasons that built into that and then the following show vince called me Mm -hmm. and wanted to he he asked if he could be the the guest on the next show and of course it's sort of like your call on the on the flight it's like uh yes mr mcmahon you can definitely come on this week you know so uh, and then we had him sit in our virtual studio you could have said you could have said you could have said sorry vince we've already got spike (laughs) i uh, yes i already had uh molly holly so that she she will not be bumped for you, but maybe next Thursday. Yeah, I don't know. But by the way, it, it's funny to me. By the way, that you went from Spike to Molly because I always say that that Spike Dudley Molly Holly storyline in like 2001 is one of the best under the radar storylines that the company's ever done. It also has one of the best lines ever said by remind uh, me by oh, Spike God. Dudley oh, when. Uh, <laughs> Wait, so we're in the creative meeting, and Spike Dudley is with Molly. And, no, no, and you're, no, you're, you're, thinking, you're thinking you're thinking it's you're thinking, you're thinking of Nowinski. But Spike Dudley and Molly are dating, and they're cutie little kid love, whatever. And uh, Nowinski wants a piece of Molly Holly in the biblical sense. So he sees them around the corner, and basically they walk away. And he he said that I just remember Nowinski's line was, "I can't wait to get a piece of that sweet sweet hymen." And at the time, Vince McMahon wanted to use the word hymen in the line. He wanted to use the word hymen in the line for Nowinski. That was his personal choice of words, which a lot of people probably don't know the medical term hymen you know sometimes like it's another it's a version of popping your cherry but hymen is the is the medical term so like uh anyway that was uh that was a vinceism and as you know he loves toilet he loves toilet humor one of the things he he loved to do too is he would come up with a line like his like every wrestling story you need to have a payoff you know all the the payoff is that you know rvd finally wins the intercontinental title whatever it is there needs to be a payoff a lot of times Vince would come up with like a line he wanted to get out there and would build an entire promo towards that line. Like that god-awful Katie Vick promo. And yes, Chris and I were on creative for Katie Vick, one of many <laughs> things that we don't include on our resumes right now. That that awful vignette at the funeral home, which Chris and I watched in the crowd, I believe in Indiana, with Brian Gewertz, and it was a wonderful moment for all of us. Um, the payoff to that is when Triple H, dressed as Kane, holds up the brain and says, I just screwed your brains out. <laughs> Yeah. And the idea for that vignette came when because Vince wanted to get to that line as the payoff. By the way, I use Katie. Katie Vick is like it's my go-to. It's my go-to thing to yes. talk about with people yes. only because like everyone knows Katie Vick. So when if someone if someone if someone said to you, you you, you right now, Chris, because magically I can either make it so that you were uncreative as part of the Katie Vick storyline. Or you're uncreative as part of the, the Hogan-Andre double referee storyline, which I think is one of the best storylines ever. Would you trade Katie Vick for the double referee Yes, story I would line? trade Katie Vick for the Hebner swap, yes. I, I, I think I'd trade it for the Mega Powers Explode, too. There's several I would trade it for, but... In that era, Seth, I mean, look, you could sit there and say, like, yes, I was writing storylines for a young Brock Lesnar and Taker and Angle Benoit were, a, you know, the odd couple tag team. Yes, you could say all that stuff, but nothing will beat either Katie Vick or the Billy and Chuck wedding. 
That, those are the yep. two biggest things that happened while we were there because it was in a time, and you know, this again, jumping around, but this is a time when Vince McMahon at, in that era in 2002 was huge mm-hmm. on trying to flesh out the backgrounds of characters, like what happened in their past yep. to lead them to this point on the WWF yep. roster. And that, and I, as much as people just bag on it and hate it, and I can understand why, I also think that that it lent itself to like a lot deeper sort of thought on some of these characters in a way that I, you don't ever see anymore. I mean, there's, there's, I'm not saying you should do Katie Vick storylines, but I am saying like a lot of the characters now (laughs) are not exactly fleshed out to where anyone knows anything about them or cares about them other than their theme song pop. And maybe, I mean, you know, there's just nothing to people anymore. So there's, there's a happy medium somewhere. We'll, we'll get into why wrestling sucks for the most part now here in a, in a, in a moment here, but I will, I will say that the three things that I was directly a part of on Creative that I'm most proud of. Number three was introducing John Cena to WWF television as a rapper. Number two is the Billy and Chuck wedding, which was my idea. I didn't write the segment, but it was my idea. Number one was Killing Al Wilson. So you and think I'm, Killing Al Wilson is better than Billy and Chuck? I'm very I'm, listen. I'm very sad for his actual loss, and 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 especially right before Tory went in the Hall of Fame. I, at the time, like you mentioned, Vince was very much in this mentality that he really wanted to do shocking stuff. You know, he wanted to do weddings. At one point, I kid you not, he's like, how can we get a bar mitzvah on television? <laughs> well, and, but you're right. Like, that was a time where, like, SmackDown, they wanted big, you know, th- this is different now than today. You know, this is another reason why it's different. But then it was ratings. It was sweeps. It was like, we need something yep. big on SmackDown. We need an event. We need. And so one storyline that they never used that I wanted them to use is an election. That was one that I kept pitching because yep. I just thought it would be fun yep. to have an election where Stone Cold was elected president of the WWF or whatever. And they go through the and whole. you know what? Yes. And you know what? Years years later, they did Cyber Sunday and Taboo Tuesday. So there you go. I get it was sort of like that, but I, it, there, but there was there was always there's only so many kinds of events you can have. Weddings always like done to death and has been done different times. And of course, after Eric Bischoff looks so great and Billy and Chuck and no one knew who was him, and then they tried to then they tried to put a bunch of makeup on Rikishi, which looked completely stupid. <laughs> but I mean, like they but the, going they, to the, going to. God, I'm sorry, Chris. I was like, you can't go back to that well twice. I mean, you you fooled yeah. everybody. Eric Bischoff's a pretty like, I mean, he's a good looking guy and everything, but he's a pretty average sized dude. Can't really do that same thing with Rikishi, but yeah. I remember, I remember being out in the crowd with with David Lagana in Minnesota the night that we we taped uh, the Billy and Chuck wedding, and him saying, and I still agree with this to this day, that had that aired live on TV, it would have been one of the biggest moments in the history of wrestling. <laughs> Well, and I still, and I still, and I still, I still think that we. And look, part of this is on me because I didn't pitch this. I still think we 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 got the finish on that wrong. Because leading up to that, the question in the media all week was, "Are they going to kiss?" And so we had them acting all weird on the vows before we brought out the Godfather and whatever, and everything happened. It's like you should have gotten to that line. You may now kiss the groom or whatever you say in a same-sex commitment ceremony. Then the fucking crowd starts buzzing. Then you go to the finish. Like, like that to me, like, and again, part of that's on me. It's not like I pitched that, but to, anyway, every time I watch that, I think about that. Yeah, that, as a look, writer, it was, that's what you do sometimes. It was, uh, I mean, obviously, the when I think back on that time, like when when they were on what it was a Good Morning America, where they were getting a gravy boat handed to them by Glad. 
That's like one of my all-time yes. favorite things because, yes. like, obviously we yes. know this is they aren't really a gay couple, you know, and they're not going to kiss and really get married, but like they're accepting yep. a gravy boat for their wedding, and uh, they're acting like it's all cool. And then, of course, when they get to the wedding, Billy's like, um, "We're not gay," you know, and I'm just like, "Well, everything you did up to this point, and, and you know, it's, at some point you can play like, well, they just were sort of oblivious and aloof to what's going on, but when you accepted a gravy boat from Glad, that's sort of admitting that you're having a wedding." But anyway, uh, yeah, that was I, that was an, an extremely uh, interesting time, and I and I think that uh, that time has passed in terms of obviously being able to do not only just that kind of storyline with the the you know sexual preference angle is not really going to be one that's going to be used a lot now, but also just the way that they fleshed out characters then where he wanted to have a little bit more to them. Which, dude, I don't know about you, Seth. Just broad term, broad thinking here. Like, what do you think about that kind of stuff? Like, I enjoy character stuff. You know, I've always bagged on Meltzer because he buries every segment that the WWF has ever done on a pay-per-view or a television show where it's like a, just a character driving segment where you're just trying to flesh out the character a little bit whether it's like a comedy thing or an interview thing or just like something happening at, you know they're off-site at a date and a restaurant they're just trying to you know he hates that crap and I'm just like I but this is what makes me yeah. care about them more not the seven you know yeah. flips I don't care I, I am in agreement with you about AEW influencer Dave Meltzer. Um, Employee. By the way, I, the, 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 the elite are a complete fart in church to me. This flippy dippy bullshit. They have a small little click or, or, or a small little tiny audience of whatever. Don't care. The only time that they or anyone else there is ever relevant is when CM Punk drops their name while he's eating muffins. I mean, give me a break. That's true. Uh, you know, draw, draw a fucking dime, guys. Anyway, that's that's going to be that's going to be the clip that people are going to talk about. By the way, so well, I get well. I'm I'm glad that they re-signed because I'm I'm pretty sure WWF wanted to sign them up right away. So I mean, like, thank yeah, God. Yeah, so would have been would have been, been disastrous if they if they signed with WWF and then they were jobbing on NXT in three months. Yeah. yeah. Um. You know. Anywho, I'm sorry. That was that was. I've said too much. Um. What, what are you asking? What was the question? Uh, just, oh, just about characters. So, like, I, I miss that like, part of wrestling now where they don't really do that anymore. So. So, so the nuance of that is that, and this also goes to why wrestling doesn't draw the performers like it used to draw. It's we're in an era now where reality TV, kind of you know, streaming TV, being going into all these different directions, social media. It's cre- It used to be that if you had these these demons, for lack of a better term, that would 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 not be. I'm trying to think of how to say this. Would not, would allow the you to be able to perform in a way that transcended. You know, you, you and I talk all the time about dark side of the ring. Sure. And you get, you know, and, and the magic word on podcasts now is demons for drugs and alcohol and all this other awful stuff. Uh-huh. And it, it's, it's, it's not a coincidence that some of the most... Uh, successful wrestlers and performers of all time, the ones who are truly timeless, had a lot of issues, had a lot of baggage, because much like in the acting world, much like in a lot of different professions, it's hard to rise to a certain level as a performer, dealing with the politics, sticking it all out. If there's not something in you that you're not just good at doing something, but you need that world you need that adulation from the audience you need that external validation 
And so we saw it at the tail end of our time there. Again, people talk about the swelled audience during the Monday Night Wars and what happened to those people. Those weren't wrestling fans. Those were the millions of people who hop on to the next big thing. At the time it was wrestling. Uh-huh. Wrestling had tapped into something that reality TV would then take and then take to a whole other level. Later uh, done by streaming media. Later done by social media. Later done by all these different places. It used to be that if you needed that external validation and you were willing to... Again, I'm trying to think of how to say this without being coming across as disrespectful, as weird as that might sound, because it's truly, truly not meant to be disrespectful. Is wrestling is at its purest form is predicated on people being willing to, for lack of a better term, destroy themselves, to give of themselves physically, psychologically, emotionally, to get that response from the audience. And that's the, the oldest business model there is. Are you still there? I can't hear you. Yeah, no, I'm here. Oh, just checking. Sorry. And that's the oldest business model there is. It goes back to Christians versus Lions. You know, it's why UFC is as big as it is. It's why NFL is the most popular sport in America. Because we love watching people just destroy each other. That's 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 what it is. Once reality TV came along, once social media came along, once all these other forums came along that allowed people a similar level of public validation, but with less travel or less physical uh, uh, abuse or less and by that I mean getting beaten up I don't mean abuse in any other way of course that is what diluted the pull down a little bit and you're not going to get the same rest the WWF's business model I was always told when we were there which they didn't say publicly now that now they go the whole oh we're putting smiles on people's faces or whatever bullshit they sell for their, to their advertisers and they're selling you know clear yourself the business model when I was there and when you were there that was we were always taught was sell emotion and that's a good business model by the way for every business sure but you're not going to get the same emotion from a 20 year old who happens to be a good athlete and is good looking and has some muscles and goes to the performance center and learns to take a few bumps and learns how to cut a promo and is given a name that sounds like it came out of a random name generator you're not going to get the same performance from that person as you are from somebody who struggled their way through the territories and worked you know for five dollars a night and was screwed over on paydays and has i'm not suggesting that every wrestler has significant issues i'm not i'm saying that there is a direct correlation between the performance and who that person is and what that person has gone through hey and i don't think it's a, everyone knows that most of the top dudes that have ever been in wrestling had a lot of problems <laughs> like personally yeah. Yeah. drug abuse alcohol b- domestic battery whatever it is like there's a lot of issues and yeah. you can blame that on the schedule you can blame it on the head injuries i don't know what cte whatever you want to say but like as we've discussed many times and i say this about not just wrestling but also music uh and some actors or whatever like stuff was a bigger deal uh you know the wrestling was a bigger than life thing when everyone was roided up and on hopped up on cocaine and heroin and all this other stuff because they were like yeah. legendary they were doing crazy stuff not just flips in the ring just just their attitude the way their arrogance the way they they acted and that is all gone now because you know yeah. a lot of that's been cleaned up like thank god for that as far as their life is and concerned I, and, and i'm not and i'm not saying i want to bring back wrestlers who are all pilled up I'm not saying I want to bring back matches with blood and chair shots to the head because I've always hated that stuff. I have always hated that stuff. What I'm saying is that if you're wondering why the, the, the performance does not feel the way that it did, that's why. And look, I am 100% in favor of the changes they've made. And it's also in the interest of fairness, Chris, it's a generational thing, too. 
because for our generation, we, you know, you, it's, it's, it's like you said, it's with music and anything else. Whatever you love as a kid, you're going to love as an adult. Mm -hmm. There's an entire generation right now who thinks Seamus is an all-time great. <laughs> you know, and that's the reconditioning of the audience. You know, look, for, for us, it's, it's, it's the Honky Tonk Man, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I'm not knocking them. They're all-time characters. They really are. But you, you know what you know. And you, you, you know, well, that's, that's my dad's wrestling favorites. But these are mine. But the biggest draw in wrestling right now is not Roman Reigns. The biggest draw in wrestling right now is still the Attitude Era because people are paying for the network. And, oh, yeah, I'll watch the shows. And, and they're doing great now. They're making money hand over fist. That's freaking great. But they keep going back to the Attitude Era well. And, and well, you, you see things like, you know, Kevin Nash comes out to the Royal Rumble and gets a huge pop. Or, or, or these guys come back and they get the massive pop. And it's not because of these guys. It's because that moment makes fans feel the way that they used to feel. They're popping for the way that wrestling used to make them feel. I, I don't care what anybody says because I've heard other people on podcasts say that, oh, wrestling got hot again. Here we are. And I don't like it's I don't even like I don't I'm not trying to be negative guy old man screaming at cloud like Rob Schamberger says yeah. I am. OK, I'm just saying it's I'm, sorry, no you, 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 I'm sorry. You like like Rob Schamberger, comma. Who gets a paycheck every week from the WWE? <laughs> comma says, uh, Rob, I love you. Anyway, he, I love, uh, you, I love you too, Rob. I he, love you too, Rob. He, I'm not trying to. It's nowhere near what it was. I don't care in any no. metric at all. The only thing that's more now is they're getting paid in a different way for content creation on these platforms that are desperate need of content. Nowadays, they don't have to sell five trillion tickets to make a ton of money. Now they just get Saudi Arabia people or you know the public investment fund over there or the uh you know whatever universal or peacock whatever to pay them a billion dollars over 10 years for their content that's awesome that's that's why vince is selling it for nine billion dollars and no one thought that would ever be done you know he's making more now a year than he probably was during the attitude era but that has nothing to do with the fact that if you look at metrics where how many people were watching the show and how many of the people were paying for tickets to go to the show it's night and day then and now so I, and yep. I, that's how you really judge stuff right i mean i know it's splintered but if you're not selling, you know, I know Wembley Stadium is coming up here and it's a huge deal for AEW and they didn't have to name a, an event for that, you know, a match for that because they, 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 it was just their first time there. And as we've discussed many times throughout the years, if you want to make money and you're not doing great in the U.S. when they can barely get a few thousand at a show in AEW here, you go, go overseas like Vince did back in, you know, many times throughout the years and make money in Europe. I get that. But it's just not even close to what it was then. I'm, I'm glad it's hotter now than it was a few, maybe like five, ten years ago. But to compare it to the Attitude Era, which you're right, people still care about watching Stone Cold clips more than they do the Bloodline, even though the Bloodline is over yep. now. I get it. Yep. But the, you, let's well, go watch the Bloodline storyline and put it up against the Stone Cold McMahon, and let's see what happens at that. You know, I mean, come on. Well, it's, the whole the whole world it comes down to also, and this goes to creating characters. The whole world too is splintered now. It used to be that when we created a storyline, you know, you could have America on one side, Canada on the other side, or you could do things where there were clear sides rooted in characters. But politicians, and again, pol politics has become wrestling now, too, as is evidenced by the fact that our 45th president was a professional wrestler. Hall of Famer. Politics now is about pitting people against each other. So there's not the, 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 the joy or the playfulness that used to be a part of that. Um, it's not there anymore. So you can't do anything based on race. You can't do anything based on sexuality. You can't do anything based on any of that. 
you know, and by the way, I want to clarify something that you said on this podcast a few weeks ago. You said that I had a friend who died on 9-11, which is true, and that I balked at the Muhammad Hassan storyline. I didn't like the Muhammad Hassan storyline, I, I, although by that point I had already stopped mostly watching for the most part. What I balked at was, this is a true story, less than a year after 9-11, when... You, Chris, do you think your listeners will remember the un-American storyline? Like, so if you're a super attitude slash, uh, well, what's the next era that they call it? What do they call it? The, um, the ruthless aggression. Ruthless aggression. That wasn't called the ruthless yeah. aggression when we were actually in the ruthless aggression era. So now in, no. in years later, they call it the ruthless aggression era. But the if you're a part of the attitude era, ruthless aggression era, if you're a huge fan of that, you would remember the Un-Americans. And I can go on a tangent about the Un-Americans in many ways, Seth, but yes, please talk about them. So the Un-Americans were a faction that originally just included Test and Christian and Lance Storm, and then they added William Regal as a mouthpiece. And this was less than a year after 9-11, and the idea was for them to, you know, it was still very rah-rah, go America. And the idea was these guys are all from, or until Regal joined, they're all from Canada, so it's not as offensive as if they were, you know, Middle Eastern or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they were just going to, you know, raise these points that might get people, you know, angry because they're not being as rah-rah America as we all want to be here in a post-9-11 world. And as has come out multiple times since then, the guys were afraid of the heat, which is something that we were hearing in the writer's room at the time because they were worried that if they had too much heat that it would be dangerous. And there was a suggestion made in the, in the, in the writer's room that maybe we can salvage this storyline. This is an actual pitch. I'm not going to say by who. By bringing in Tiger Ali Singh <laughs> and making him a stereotypical, and then there was a word used that I would rather not repeat, and having him and the group burn the American flag in Madison Square Garden on the Raw after SummerSlam, which was just before the one-year anniversary of 9-11. Yeah. And people were mulling this over in the writer's room. And Vince had, this, Vince had two things he used to say all the time, one being very positive, one being very negative. When something was very positive, Vince would always say, that's off the charts. And when something was very negative, he would say, or when, or when there was a conversation, he would say, is this a hill you want to die on? <laughs> and this, for me, was a hill that I was willing to die on. Number one, because I did lose a friend on 9-11, and this was very personal for me. And we were at the point in the business where the business had been exposed enough that that level, that level of cheap heat smelled like crap when they did the Sergeant Slaughter thing in, in 1991, 11 years earlier. And holy shit, we were on the creative team 11 years after isn't that weird? WrestleMania 7. Yeah. We are so fucking old. Yeah, it's Holy just fuck. weird. Anyway. But it's weird to think how close we were to things that we grew up watching, you know, as far know. as in the company. It, it's insane. Like, like we, we just, anyway, the fact that you started as an intern before the 97 Survivor Series is still amazing. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so this, this for me was the hill I was willing to die on. And I said that. I said, I, I grew up, I, I'm from New York. I had a friend who died on 9-11. And I even I said I said Vince, you always say, "Is this the hill you're willing to die on?" I'll walk out the door now. If you, if, 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 but this to me is something that will just backfire in spectacular. And look, I don't know if it was ever anything that anybody was seriously thinking about. They were just wrapping their heads around it, seeing whatever. But it was an actual pitch that was made. That was the one that I was really, really 
part of that. So I want to I want to just uh, back up for one second and say pitches like that that are crass and like really bad or in terms of just like could be very you know detrimental to someone's feelings. Those kind of pitches happen all the time in television, in wrestling, and all these things, and yep. they don't necessarily they don't go to air. I mean, I hate I hate reading this crap about these writers that were there after us or whoever, and they're just like, yeah, they're just so horrible. They say horrible things in these pitches. And I'm like, it's a freaking creative brain session here. You know, you're like yep. trying to storm yep. brainstorm these things about, you know, thinking about the, the craziest things you can come up with. Because as you know, Seth, we on the team, there were plenty of times where we were asked to be like, hey, the open slate, just throw stuff out here because we want something big. So just come up with some big things. And mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why Katie Vick happened anyway. I mean, it's just sort of like we yep. need we need a reason to bring Kane back, you know, whatever. And and those kind of pitches happen all the time. And I look, if you have a personal problem with it like you did, I get it. Like say say that it's bad because, I mean, as one of our favorite people used to say, I just want to see Trish fucking. That happened on a regular basis <laughs> where that's all that people wanted to see was Trish Stratus in a love angle of some sort. And it was just sort of like, you know, uh, look, you, that stuff is not Are you going to keep that in or are you going to edit that out? Why would I? I don't know. I'm just asking. Anyway, keep going. Sorry. Anyway, I just think that uh, I think that that is a. Uh, I just think there's a lot of things that they're thrown out there that are crass, but you know, you throw it out there to get other people's things spinning. That's that's what I learned at working at WWF. You can have the worst idea, but coming out of that could come, you know, something good. Someone could spin out of that and be like, "No, that's a horrible idea." But what if we take this little bite and go forward with it? And I understand why you didn't like anything. Muhammad Hassan came years later. Yes, you're right. And by the way my favorite part of the un-americans was when <laughs> sorry like they they wanted someone to get heat and william regal of course was like i'll do it and he like he, he has no yeah. care and the other person in the room at the time was like sergeant slaughter's there and he's like yeah so you know he's <laughs> like like they're all like here, you got like christian and like uh, lance storm ready to crap themselves because they think and chess thinking they're gonna get shot in msg because they're burning a flag or threatening to do it yeah. and like sergeant, and sergeant slaughter is literally in the room he's in the room <laughs> he's just like yeah. i mean i just remember looking at the old guard and they're all looking at each other like this is shit we did all the time like i got stabbed yeah. like 10 times last week you know whatever but uh I, it's it's funny to see how it evolves seth and and I, I do miss the times where we could have angles based on uh, characteristics of things that can't be talked about anymore. But uh, I do feel because obviously society has evolved, that's why wrestling is no longer like nearly as good anymore because really of society, <laughs> you know? Yeah. The other, the, other, the other thing that people say sometimes about creative that I completely disagree with is people say, oh, storylines are too predictable. There is one story, way of telling a story that is the way to tell a story. Literally every TV show, movie, even wrestling storyline you've ever seen works through exactly the same way to tell a story. And when, for example, Chris, when you go to a romantic comedy or you watch a romantic comedy, what's probably going to happen at the end? I'm assuming that the two leads are going to get together. That's a, that's a hell of a guess. And yes, it's not absolute, but yes. And that is what is called the object of desire. Cody Rhodes winning, winning the title at WrestleMania is the object of desire. Um, you know, the, you know, Sami Zayn hitting Roman Reigns and turning on the, on the bloodline. That's the object of desire. And the thing about crafting a story, and this is what a lot of people don't understand. This is what Vince Russo 
never understood is the secret to a great wrestling storyline isn't twists and turns around every corner. The secret to a great wrestling storyline is to paint the bigger picture where there's a clear object of desire and that path that is the same universal path. And there's a great book. David Lagana actually introduced me to this book, and I love this book. It's called Story by Robert McKee. There's a, a, a story arc, you know, and, and the more complex version of it, if you Google online, it's called Hero's Journey. And every story ever, ever goes to the same path. And the secret to a great wrestling storyline is if you want to do swerves, if you want to do moments and this and that, fucking do them. But do them within the context of the bigger story. Because if you want to train a dog to go for a walk or to sit or whatever, you know, you give him a treat, you give him a treat, you give him a treat. When you stop giving him the treat, the dog stops doing what you want him to do. When you stop giving a wrestling audience that object of desire, when you stop, when you make it difficult for them to follow that story, they're going to stop doing what you want them to do. They're going to stop showing up. You've stopped giving them that payoff. You've stopped giving them that moment at the end that where the, the leads kiss or whatever, because even though it's predictable and you know it's coming, they've followed those twists and turns. And the mark of a great writer, the mark of a great storyteller, the mark of a great booker, the mark of an entertaining wrestling show is that as predictable as a lot of it might be bigger picture, those moments in the way keep you engaged and keep you entertained. So people who knock predictability in wrestling are, are missing the big picture of what it is that keeps people coming back and where the opportunity really is in terms of entertaining people. It's not in adjusting the overall formula. It's in how you, 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 you paint everything in between and how you get there. No, I love that. It's the details along the way. You can do some of this stuff along the way. And I think the story, the, the bloodline storyline is doing this. Now, some can argue, like, how long can you pull this out, stretch this out in today's era of, like, you know, short attention span. But, yes, you, you do things along the way. But ultimately, you know what's going to happen. And one thing that drives me nuts, too, about people, fans today that – are very sensitive about any kind of storyline that they don't like out the gate is another thing that just drives me nuts, Seth. If you have watched wrestling ever in your life, you know at the beginning the heel, the bad guy, the villain always gets the upper hand for a while. That is how it works. And at the end... You have to then the baby face, the good guy, most likely always comes out on top. So the problem is now you can see these storylines where the first chapter is written and the bad guy gets an upper hand and everyone goes ape shit online or whatever because they are upset yep. that they are like glorifying the horrible person that they are portraying on TV. I'm like, yes, you have to build him up so you can tear him down when the good guy wins. But no one wants yep. that kind of like uh, they they don't have that patience anymore, which is very frustrating being in a, a creative writing uh, environment well part of it too is the lack of mystique now is it used to be is there was an hour or two of wrestling a week and you tune into that and now you go online and, and the, the the bad guy gets the heat and then the bad guy's on instagram you know talking about how he and the good guy you know oh we just got an outburger <laughs> yeah. you know lost how they're best buddies and wwe.com is posting Oh man, he he hit him with it with, with with a wrench. Here's 38 times in history that someone's been hit with a wrench before. It's like nothing can breathe anymore. Nothing sure. can 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 have that proper spotlight anymore. Yeah, I agree. Old man yells at cloud. 
But by the way, like, would you? It was just funny. This past week, there's a big debate on uh, Rhea Ripley got engaged to Buddy Matthews, and they posted their pictures online. Now, of course, Rhea Ripley is in a storyline with Dominic where she, he calls her mommy and all this stuff. It's like, yeah. is that, should she have done that? Because she has a great character. And this is, I've seen a lot of workers on the indie level, usually, and, and to the professional, that the top is the top level, I should say. Uh, they they all argue you know that this is you know they basically argue that it's their brand they're trying to get their brand out there and you know you should be able to do this and i get that if you have a short window and you know it and you just am trying to get as much publicity about yourself in the like brief amount of time you're going to be at a level where people know who you are i understand it but as a fan as a lot of things in sports have happened have gone away in the last 20 years it sucks Cause I don't want to know that, you know, I mean, we, we had, remember we had stuff all the time where obviously the rock was married at the time when we were there to, to Danny Garcia. And, uh, when, when he was with her, uh, of course there was, it was always like, do not mention that he's married, you know, or anything. Yeah. And of course that's, that's an old school wrestling tactic. Like the, the girls want to yeah. know that they have a shot with the rock. I get it. And so no one follows that anymore. And it does sort of, uh, it, it hurts the characters, but of course that's sort of the the pandora's box has been opened so i don't think you're really going to be able to do that again and 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 i get the dynamic of that because there there are so many guys now who aren't tippy top guys or top level and i don't mean to just say guys but who need to build that social following and that's how they get an audience and and Mm -hmm. and i get that to me if you want to be a tippy top person in the business and you really want to draw money in the business don't let people know what's going on in your real life don't tip that card because it, it, it goes to why the big show is a draw as an attraction and Paul White isn't. And I don't mean to pick on him. It goes to why Diesel is an attraction. And well, that was different because Kevin Nash has in the NWO, bad example there. Forget that one. You can edit that one out. Don't edit it out. <laughs> but there, yeah, but you're right. I agree. One is, one is larger than life. One isn't larger than life. And the reason why Roman Reigns is where he is, is because he's not all over social media saying, Hey, Jay Uso, thanks for that great match at SummerSlam. He's not, doing interviews that um oh well look at me and i'm married and i've got twins and this and i really oh, we just we just love to put smiles on people's faces no he's he's pre- one of my favorite performers to watch is mjf because mjf gets it and he plays the role 24 7 and people people want to believe people want Look at all the fucking bullshit that people believe outside of wrestling business. That is clearly fucking bullshit. And I'm not going to get into the weeds. I'm not going to give examples because I don't want to polarize anybody. Sure. People want to believe. And so if you sell them a character, they will believe. They will believe on the highest level. But as soon as, uh, you know, the big show becomes, oh, he's, you know, Paul White. Uh, you know, but, like, and I don't mean to pick on him. I'm just saying larger than life creating characters that's what makes you transcend that's what takes you to the next level being who you are or being who it is that you want to present not going online and seeking the validation oh i'm a bad guy so i'm gonna go online i'm gonna post a photo of my my salad i had at at, uh at uh you know outback steakhouse tonight and stuff just so thirty thousand people can like it because that's going to validate me way more than the millions of dollars i'll make if i just kind of stay to myself but that's 
Anyway, I'm in the weeds now. No, I'm, I'm rambling. I agree with that. I agree with MJF is the the one guy who goes and like you know spits on kids and stuff and like he just sort of owns it online and acts like what's the big deal? He's a piece of crap kid or whatever. That kind of stuff. Like I the reality show aspect of this where we reality shows like how many times I, I catch I watch reality I like crappy reality shows. So when I watch them, I I real I catch myself sort of falling into it, knowing I know full well. Yeah. You know how cynical I am. I know these people are like it's all bull crap like they're all they're all being told what to do this is all fake they probably haven't even met each other before this but i fall into the you're in the moment and you just like uh you know i it, you fall into it and these guys that don't know how to portray that in wrestling now uh because of just the way that they've been brought up or whatever it's just not the same but uh when, when i when i when i studied screenwriting chris let me just give you one other thing here when i studied screenwriting i was taught that when you're writing a script you're writing a tv series you're writing a movie or a book or whatever People will believe anything you tell them, anything. We brought dinosaurs back to life and they took over an island. People will believe it as long as within the world you create, you're consistent with your characters and your stories. And that's why people go to wrestling shows. And even though literally every wrestling show ever has had the same formula ever, and every wrestling character ever, it's, 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 it's all the same. It's, all, it's great. I love it. It's a great, I, love, I still love watching it. Most of it, not the flippy dippy guys in AEW, but I still love watching AEW. I still love watching wrestling, I should say. Collision Saturday nights, the best show on TV. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, once you vary from that, though, that's when you know you ever you ever watch a TV show or you watch a movie, and suddenly something happens that just takes you out of that moment completely. And it's like, like you said, like you believe nonsense, you believe silliness. You watch it as long as they're consistent with it. And that's why, like, if you're trying to believe in this character and get into it and you're emotionally invested, again, selling emotion, um, you get invested in this character and then you're online and you see the same person whose Instagram handle is their real name and they're doing something that I do and you do and the person across the street does, which makes them just into another person. It takes away that mystique. It makes them less special. It takes you out of the moment. And once you're taken out of the moment, it's very hard to get back into the moment and that's the nuance of oh i just want to be on tv and i want to be a wrestler and i want to make a little bit of money versus i want to be that larger than life performer there's so many things i mean me and you could talk theories on wrestling for hours and hours and hours as we do all the time and one thing another thing that adds to this that i can continue on is like nowadays you're dealing with people that look like pretty average people i know some people still have pretty good builds but for the most part they're very average even maybe below average your average like human being that is in wrestling they're not they're not very tall they're not usually very big they don't really have any kind of like uh you know things about them characteristics that make them any different than anyone you really know except you know uh, that they're in shorts and they have a catchphrase and back in the day when you had you know it's a lot easier to see like andre the giant even if andre the giant had social media i still know that he's a freaking <laughs> he's a giant walking around so i don't really care like even china like i mean we got to see china's screwed up life after she left wrestling with the uh, porn tapes and drug abuse and all this other stuff that you saw portrayed on television but like that didn't hurt my thoughts on her because she looked like a freaking beast, you know, and that that was yep. just the, and those people are not the same anymore. MJF is as he's in really good shape now. But let's face it, he's like five, eight. I mean, he's just he's not a big dude. So like even if he like uh, started, it, it, it's just not the same apples and oranges and the eras where we talked about the the size and and we can go on for hours and hours about why 
they're not as big anymore and why UFC and MMA have taken away and everything else have taken away from that. But uh, I wanted to lay the groundwork on this first episode, Seth, or the second try of the first episode uh, with why we started, uh, how we got into wrestling. And just uh, and I, I want to do a lot more shows with you because I think me and you could talk about the, a lot of stuff about wrestling forever. Not just funny and stories. I, do, I, do. Oh, I did want to bring up Brian Solomon. I don't know who that is. Oh, okay. Anyway, I, I did want to uh, just talk about uh, how the, some of the great stories we had about uh, about you know our time at the at the building because we have so many <laughs> great stories. I mean, just yeah. wrestling Shane stuff in the fishbowl, bite this. Uh, but also to like, I mean, I haven't even really gone into detail about like how I ended up getting fired or uh, I mean, geez, and you would have been fired if you didn't quit. Stuff like that, you know. I was I I was I. I would, I, one of these days uh, on a future podcast, I will tell the story about the time that I, I uh, what, of what I said to Stephanie McMahon in front of all the other writers, not long, <laughs> no one I was giving my notice that week. Uh, we will tell the story of, of that room off to the side of the WWF gym where Shane McMahon used to teach us ultimate fighting, where mm-hmm. I made Shane McMahon tap out one time, where Shane McMahon gave me a concussion one time. <laughs> Yeah, Shane McMahon, scary. very tough, very tough. I, 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 I'm a big fan of Shane. I was like Shane. I was like Shane. Shane. Shane to me always struck me as someone who was too nice to the rest of the kids, and, and and that is a thing. I um, agree. But yeah, we'll get we'll get we'll get into my connection to Kansas City. I mean, I was backstage at I worked Backlash 2002, which was the first uh, pay per view in Kansas City after uh, Owen's terrible accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the show that Hogan won his last WWE title. Um, I interviewed him after that show. He was buck-ass naked. That was an experience. Um, you and Bubba the Love Sponge uh, wife had that. That's cool. You guys have something in common. Hope, hope. I got something deep inside of me. I'm sorry. That was out loud. Yeah, it was. She that, said. I can't believe you didn't pop for that. I can't believe you're going to edit this this part out anyway because you're going to get sued <laughs> like Gawker and, and freaking Hogan's going to own the worst territory. Gawker, in the world yeah, it's the same as Gawker right here. But yeah, your 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 co-host is going to be carrying Hogan's bag. What's his name? Uh, Gabe Ben Miller. Yes, yes, yes. No, thank God for him. Otherwise, this podcast wouldn't be over at all. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm not going to give you shit. We've been talking for an hour. It's been fun. Well, thank but, you, uh, Seth, we'll talk for joining. The early, the early, I want, the last thing I want to mention, too, is Kansas City, the early days of Metro Pro. But yeah. Because you and I actually worked together on that, and I was kind of a little uh, bug in your ear, and there's a lot of fun stories from that that we can share with the next Yeah, people. like, because I would love talking to you about uh, just my experience, like, going from WWF to the independent wrestling level, which is like, hey, yeah. I started in the major leagues, and I'm going to single A for the next 10 years. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, that was, but what a transition that was. And you, yeah, you designed the Metro pro logo. I mean, you, you, uh, you had a lot of help with I, that. I, 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 I named the territory, which I'm begging you to put me on. You did. You did name Metro pro cause of Metro sports. And you thought it was a good chantable name. Metro. I pro. wanted, I, I, I just kept hearing EC dub, EC dub. And I kept thinking, what's something that you, I don't know if they ever did, but I was like, could they chant they Metro pro? Metro oh, pro? Oh yeah, they did. And, and you yeah. and me, are, we have not talked about how ECW, we were both huge fans of of that and now how at his age so horribly through the years even though i love yes. ecw still but going back and watching ecw into 2023 is like it's just not the same it's, i guess it's because i'm old now but it's not but it, but it goes to what we talked about earlier which is number one um it's 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 not a wrestling audience it's an audience that's looking for reality tv you're looking for different outlets and that was just a different outlet at the time that hadn't been blossomed yet and number two, how people are willing, and again, I'd say this with no disrespect to anybody, 
willing to destroy themselves for the adulation and the attention and the, the pop and the, the validation. And that's, but yeah. That's what, hey, like, I mean, a lot of people did that and like, they are still like heroes to many today. So I, we'll talk about that. Right. I want to talk about ECW because we, we got really close yeah. to that up there. I, I had never really been around it much like you had, but uh, when I moved up there, yeah. I got involved yeah. in going to a couple shows up there in Brooklyn or, or Queens rather in Queens. And it was, uh, it yeah. was quite the time, but anyway, Seth, please, Mace, please, please, please make sure, please make sure Gabe knows, by the way, that I'm totally kidding. I love my No, oh, I really care. I really don't want to hurt his feelings at all. No. Um, Seth, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, we will talk many more times, and I believe this works, so I'm going to hit stop after I stop talking here, and uh, I believe it's saved. So thank you very much for coming back for part two of part one of uh, your first time here on the podcast. <laughs> I'm hungry for more knowledge. It's the worst territory. All right, everybody, welcome back to the worst territory in the world. Chris, that was a fantastic interview with Seth Mason. Like you said, I hope that, well, I know that this is just going to be part one of many, many interviews. Now, I know it's not necessarily a guy who is directly involved with Central States Wrestling or anything like that, but it is a part of our story being the host of the worst territory in the world. So it was a pleasure to, to hear that type of an interview. Yeah, Seth and I have really hit it off well since I moved up there. I mean, I was a kid from Kansas City. He's from New York. I mean, I didn't know anybody up there when I when I moved up there. And uh, he showed me around, even though he was a, a year younger than me. But uh, we both just bonded over the 80s and 90s wrestling we loved. And, um, you know, we 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 now talk about our perspectives being in our 40s now, looking back at when we were there on the uh, just in w, in WWF from 9703 just everything that has changed since then things that are still lingering from that era the reason why as you heard in the interview the attitude era is still the number one draw really on the network than anything else they do even though quote unquote it's the hottest period of wrestling ever now no that's a complete lie i don't know who said that but yes they make more money cuz content is getting paid billions of dollars and i get that but they're selling way less tickets than they used to so and drawing way less on the the rating side of thing, way less like a fraction. Yeah, and I mean, and that's going to change with the way things yeah. change. I get yeah, that yeah, it's not yeah, apples yeah. to apples there, but but it's just it's just not not even close to the same. But yeah. um, but anyway, I thank you, Seth, for coming on, and he'll be on again soon because I I just enjoy I could talk with him much like I can talk with you about wrestling, different perspectives all the time. But uh, speaking Mind of wrestling, me. though, I did want to start. Uh, another little short trivia quiz with you, Gabe. Are you good with okay. that? Yeah, I'm good. Let's go. Okay. So as you do, what'd you get? Like a, you got like a C last time. I don't know if you did very well. <laughs> okay. First of all. Okay. Yeah, I did get a C, but no, yeah, it's not, they're not easy. They're not easy, but uh, so this is another one I found and it's a little quiz I found online and I want to see how many of these, you know, okay. Let's 10 go. questions. Here we go. Right. Okay. Number one. All right. Who was crowned the first NWA world champion in 1948? Has a local tie-in to the Midwest. I have multiple um, choice. Or I'm going most. to say Luthez. So Luthez was handed the belt by this man in 1949, but the correct uh, answer is Orville Brown. No, of course. Of course. Or Orville, Orville Brown, Brown is from Kansas. If you ever watched my documentary, Casey on the Mat, you would have known that answer. But Orville Brown. <laughs> All right. Okay. Strike one. Okay. <laughs> Who was the last USWA champion? And I'll give you four for the multiple choice here. It was okay. it Jerry Lawler, <laughs> Isaac Yankum, Dutch Mantel, or Jeff Jarrett? 
The, the last you the last ever. USWA champion was when the company folded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Jeff Jarrett. Correct answer is Dutch. Dirty Dutch that, Mantel. That was gonna be my second guess. Dang it. Okay. Okay. Number and it was three. one of the two. Who took Tully Blanchard's place at short notice at the third annual Survivor Series in 1989? This is, of course, when Tully was fired uh, by the WWF for whatever reason you want to come up with there. But uh, he was fired, so the team had a replacement. Do you remember who that was, or would you like a multiple choice? Um, Can you uh, tell me the other three members of the team? The other three members were... I think or give me was, multiple choice. I think or just... the other three were Arn Anderson, Haku, and Andre the Giant, I believe. And so this person had to step in to be the fourth member of the team. All right, I'm going to ask for multiple choice here. I, I can't because I, I gave you the other three answers. So okay. it has to be. Okay, so this okay. is an Hold unprecedented. Th- this. Uh, no, no, no. Hold a... on. Hold on. Think about who's involved in this. Yeah, I know, I know. Andre, Haku, Arn Anderson. What do they have in common? They're all the part of the Heenan family. Yep. Um, let's go with Rick Rude. Bobby Heenan. Now, come on. I'm oh, sure. man. Okay. He was placed in there, and he took a couple bumps. I mean, he wasn't exactly in a great bump time at that point in his life, but uh, Dang it. Bobby Heenan. Had I to, remember that, that, was, like, that now. I re- and wasn't he wearing the Andre singlet? Yes. Ah, dang it. I knew that. Yes, he was on the Andre singlet, and he was... uh... Had someone walk in there. Okay. Yes, he was wearing the Andre singlet, and like I said, it was like a last-second thing. I think Tully was fired just hours before the show, Yeah, within the last couple of days. So it was Bobby Heenan. You're doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, what was Buddy Rogers's <laughs> real name? Here's your four choices. Okay. William Watson, Buddy Rogers, Jay Putsky, or Herman Road? Herman Road. The correct answer Dang. is Herman Road. Yes. Did you just guess on that? No, I thought I had heard that somewhere, honestly. Herman? Okay. Yep. Paging Mr. Herman. Uh, <laughs> Paging Mr. <laughs> Bob Backlund captured the WWF tag team titles with who in 1980? Was it Tony Gurria, Tito Santana, Rick Martel, or Pedro Morales? This is Bob Backlund tag titles. Uh, WWF tag titles. Tony Gurria. The correct answer is Pedro Morales. Ah, dang it. That was my second guess. Poop. Okay. What was Steve Austin's surname prior to his mother remarrying? (laughs) This is interesting. Okay. So what was Steve Austin's surname prior to his mother remarrying? Was it Williams, Anderson, Austin, or Slater? Well, I know his name. I know his, I know his name was Steve Williams before he be, he legally changed it to Steve Austin. That was correct. But I guess his mother remarried. And he became Steve Williams. So what was he before okay, that? B- before that, I, dude, I'm j- this is going to be literally a dartboard. Um, I'm going to say Slater. 
Anderson. <laughs> really? Anderson. Oh, Steve my God. Anderson. That's now, a really to, good question. According to this, according to this. That's amazing. Austin, Steve Austin's real name is Steve Williams, but he was Steve Anderson for the first few years of his life. Wow. That is an obscure question. Okay. That's great, though. That's funny. Which WWF star played Steel in Mexico, winning the EMLL title? Was it Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, Val Venus, or S.A. Rios? I know this one for sure. I knew before you said it. Uh, uh, Val Venus. Val Venus is correct. Yep. Okay, number eight. Tommy Dreamer won the Eastern Championship Wrestling Tag Titles with who? Was it Sabu, Raven, Tasmaniac, or Johnny Gunn? I think you asked me this last time. We did. I did have a question related to this. Johnny Gunn. Johnny Gunn, also known as Sal Sincere. Oh, so it was Sal Sincere. It okay. was Tom Brandy. Yeah. Okay, got it. Okay, what year was the WWF Intercontinental title created with Pat Patterson as the first champion in that beloved <sighs> Rio de Janeiro Rio de, Rio de Janeiro. Um, uh, was it 1978, 1980, 1974, or 1979? My first guess, like before you said anything, was 1979. I'm going to stay with that. That is correct. Nice. And last question. Who won the WWF European title? It's not a recognized reign. From Mark Henry while playing a game on Madden 2000 for the PlayStation backstage at a TV taping. This is <laughs> So this is a weird question. Okay. I didn't read this before. Who won the WWF European title from Mark Henry while playing a game on Madden 2000 for the PlayStation backstage at a TV taping? I, this is so the answers are Godfather, The Rock, D'Lo Brown, or Shane McMahon. Wasn't it? I mean, I at first guess was D'Lo. Well, D'Lo actually was a European. Yeah, champion, so that's probably why I was wrong. But um, I'm, I'm just gonna I'm gonna reframe that. I'm gonna say The Rock. The Rock is correct. Yep. And here's the explanation. A bet was made for the European title with Henry saying Rock couldn't beat him at Madden 2000, but if he did, he could have his title. Well, The Rock won and took the belt. Luckily, the belt was handed back to Henry for the next TV taping. Wow. Sorry, that couldn't be more obscure than Steve Anderson if I tried. <laughs> but final score, I got five right and four wrong. That's not bad. Not these bad. Are pretty, these are pretty hard. Although hey, you, you know, got some, you got some right that I and some wrong that I would have gotten. It's weird. Um, but that means that if I was a major league baseball player, I'd be Hall of Fame worthy. You would be. You'd be the Pete Rose of uh, trivia. Yeah, that's right. And I am the Pete Rose of trivia. All right. Well, that was that was a good rendition. I, I really like those questions. Um, let's keep them rolling in the future. Let's do another one of those in a couple weeks here. Sure. All right, Chris. Well, we're gonna get out of here for today. Um, don't forget to, uh, if you want a cool refreshment, uh, stop by the peculiar winery in peculiar Missouri, say hello to our, our host and our friend, Chris Goff, while you're there and get yourself some delicious food from one of their food trucks they feature every weekend. How did your Godfather night or not Godfather, your Sopranos night go? Uh, has, that's coming up in October. Oh, having okay. Vito from, um, Vito, Joseph Ganascoli from, uh, Vito was the, uh, guy. He was in the show for like five years, basically. But the final season, he was the guy that ended up being homosexual and they tracked him down. But he was a captain making all the money for Tony. And uh, he is very entertaining in real life. He is married to a woman. It was a character. And his pitch, it, 
it's very interesting how he pitched the character to David Chase. Like he had read a book about the DeMeo crime family up in New York. And he had heard that, you know, they were, uh, he wanted some more screen time. So he's reading this book called Murder Machine. And he decided to, there was a story in there where one of the guys in the, in the mafia was gay and they tracked him down and they took care of him. So he sort of pitched that idea to David Chase, took a couple years, but one day he found out that Chase was going for it and he made himself into a main character of that show, the final season. So uh, huh. he's very entertaining. And so and you, what do you mean by take care of him? They like put him up in a they hotel, killed, gave him money. Him. But why? Yeah, they, they gave him money and like gave him a dog? Because he was gay. Apparently that wasn't kosher in the uh, Italian mafia game. Huh. Who would have thunk it? Who would have thought? You would have thought like people like Capone and stuff like that, they would be very understanding about that. But no, it seems like they're not. You got John Gotti. He would have been totally for that, I thought. But no. Interesting. You learn something new every day. And also, if you need any real estate needs met, don't forget, you can give me a phone call at area code 661-236-9055. Only about real estate. I will not answer silly questions about wrestling. Only Goff gets to answer me that or gets to ask me questions like that. Also, don't forget, you can go to benmiller.realestate and check out my website and uh, email me if you want at wrestlingwithrealestate at gmail.com. Chris, it's been fun. It's been real. But now it's time to go. So for Chris Goff, I'm Gabe Miller. We will see you next time when we will talk about possibly the worst territory in the world. Goodbye, everybody. It's the worst territory in the world.